This is the voice of the Report of the Week, signing on. Well, hello, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone listening to today's newest edition of VORW International. Welcome to the show. I know it's been a little bit of a, a little bit of a break, but I hope this month of November has been a fine one for you. Here we are. I am feeling much better. We're going to be uh, discussing a few things and reading some listener correspondence in today's program. A few notes very quickly. There were three pieces of fan art featured in this broadcast for those of you tuning in on YouTube. The first, no credit necessary, the artist mentioned. The second goes out to Annabelle, also goes by Caviar and Carnations, and uh, she does a bit of a shop on Etsy. The third piece is credited to Wyatt. Secondly, and I can say this because I know for a fact, since I already recorded the rest of the show, I didn't make any sort of overt plea for correspondence later in the broadcast, so I will say it right now. As this show is miscellaneous, and since there is no set topic for the next program that I do, if you would like to correspond with this show, your feedback, your questions, your comments, topic suggestions for future programs are welcome. You can reach the show, and you are encouraged to write in, by the way. It would be great to hear from you. The more listeners, the better. You can always write in via email to v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. Again, via email to v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the broadcast. This is V-O-R-W Radio International. So here we are, checking in for another uh, another show, another program. Welcome one and all. Yeah, you know, I didn't know when I was going to be able to do this show, admittedly, because the last official online podcast that I did was yeah, around Halloween time. I think it was a couple days after. Uh, and that was after, because... Here's the whole backstory, since now there's plenty of time to discuss it. So I had that crown-lengthening procedure, which was scheduled for, you know, a couple weeks ago now. And sure enough, it was... I mean, it was a success. Obviously, the tooth that was worked on wasn't in good shape to begin with. Um, But it's good to know that at least it has that space available now that the crown can be put on, that it could be saved, and once that's done, you know, providing that I take care of it, which I I certainly intend to do fully, at least it's good to know that I will have a good functional tooth, hopefully without any further issues down the line, at least for a good long while. But it requires recovery time. Again, because it was a full-blown procedure, I was... I was put under for it. And again, I will say this, because I know it's something that a lot of folks out there have anxieties relating to. And I will say this again, and I'm sure I've said it in the past, I don't wish to sound like a broken record, but this is the second time this last year that I've been put under. And I think for those of us, especially who have never been put under anesthesia before, we can't help but have anxieties about it. We can't help but have 
worries because it's something that you've never done before. And of course, it's a strange experience to think of when you really try to wrap your mind around it. You know, you put this substance, it's, it's put into you, and then all of a sudden you black out and you don't remember anything for possibly, I mean, it all depends on how long, but anywhere from, you know, one to several hours later. Right, that's a pretty strange thing, I think, to wrap our minds around. And of course, there's all these what-ifs, you know, you read these horror stories every now and then where it's like, you hear about someone who has complications and never wakes up, whatever, and it scares, it's, it scares some individuals out there. Granted, for good reason, of course. But I had those worries, too. Especially at the beginning of the year when I was first put under, I had my concerns, I had my worries, because again, it was something that I'd never had done to me before. But it was fine. The second time I was put under again because, you know, the crown lengthening it involved cutting away the bone, some of the bone in my jaw as well, as some of the tissue, so as a result they said, look, we can keep you awake if you want, but number one, it's not necessarily going to be the most pleasant thing, and secondly, it would be best if you're still, as we're doing this, we don't want to, you know, we just, it wants to be as easy as possible, so we recommend that you're uh, put under for it. So I agreed, I thought, well, I've been there once before, let's just do it again. Whatever happens, happens, you know? What am I going to do about it? But it was totally fine. It was smooth. Believe me when I say it, there really is, is nothing to worry about. The reason why sometimes these horror stories, as I call them, of incidents, uh, I think, where, you know, the anesthesia goes wrong or whatever, make the news, is because they are so rare to begin with. That's what makes it newsworthy. You have to remember that. The reason why, again, such things might get talked about, I mean, is because it's so rare an event. It almost never happens. And always remember that you are having this administered by professionals who have undergone special training to do exactly what they're doing. So you're with people that, that know their stuff. But it was fine, you know? Of course, I had my own anxieties beforehand to begin with, because even though I knew that it was very likely going to be fine, you know, it's still... I never look forward to getting a medical procedure done. It's Who does, really? Uh, some people, I'm sure, but not, not a lot of us. We just have to do what we have to do, but that's it. But it was fine. I went in sat down on the the, uh, the chair there, got comfortable. And uh, they just said, okay. <laughs> I liked the doctor. He was, he was great. He had a sense of humor, which always... I think that helps with the atmosphere a lot. You know, it's not making light of it, but it's just having a good attitude, you know? I think it really, especially right when you're there, I don't know, it just helps. That's the best way to, to put it. But he was there, he was very attentive, and uh, then he was, <laughs> he pretty much said, all right, now it's, uh, it's time for the happy juice, and uh, let's get you all, let's get you all hooked up, and uh, it'll be over in a minute. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that pretty much took care of my nerves, you know, and I saw that attitude, it's kind of, sometimes the positivity is contagious. 
And it was fine, you know, they hooked everything up, they got the IV in, they got the supplemental oxygen going, and all that. He said, all right, we've got, um, we've got it going now, you're probably, uh, you'll probably be out in, uh, you know, less than 30 seconds. And sure enough, I'm sitting there for a minute, I'm looking out the window, and then the next thing that I feel is this very slight for like, I would say maybe two seconds this time around. The last time I didn't feel this, but this was fine. It was just a little bit of a feeling in my head. It wasn't spacey, it was pleasant. It was a pleasant feeling. Not anything, not anything bad. It actually was, it felt pretty good. And uh, then that's it. Next thing I remember, is uh, the doctor saying, all right, just keep your mouth open a second longer, we're done now, and uh, we'll have you on your way. And sure enough, everything was done, I had a ton of stitches in my mouth, but I didn't remember a thing, didn't feel a thing, and everything was great. So it was a very smooth procedure, and it's just, the reason why I'm talking about this again is because I know so many people out there do have fears of anesthesia, but please know, and I say this, now, from multiple experiences with it in this last year, I I know it's the unknown, fear of the unknown, etc. But please know, I've had those same fears, I've had those same anxieties, but it has been a pleasant, uh, swift, and smooth experience each and every time. There really isn't anything to fear. So just something I wanted to bring up there for a minute. But after the fact, you know, you have the recovery, you have to take it easy, you have to do this. They give you a whole sheet of instructions, and they give you this special mouthwash, you know, to just sterilize the mouth. And I still use it. I mean, it's still, I still have some left. I actually rinsed with some um, before I got to the microphone just now, because I remembered. I was said, all right, let me do this now before I forget. So I did. I've made it a habit, but it's nice. It's peppermint flavored, which is nice. You know, better than some of the mouthwashes that I've had. But anyway, so it's it's been smooth. I mean, you had the first few days, because this is a procedure, especially when it comes down to a crown lengthening, you get the two, there's, there's two types of it. You have aesthetic crown lengthenings, which, that's the most common. I mean, I would say of the people who actually get a dental crown lengthening done, it seems to me, from what I've researched, like 85, 90% or more get what they call an aesthetic crown lengthening. And that is simply done for cosmetic purposes. Uh, it's not normally essential. It's just done... If, if, say, you have a gummy smile, you know, and you smile... The gum kind of is a bit more exposed than you would like. You wish you had more teeth visible. Then you can have a crown lengthening done, and they will cut away the excess gum, and you can have that glorious uh, smile that you know, we've always wanted. The second type of crown lengthening is a functional crown lengthening, though it sometimes goes by different names, but that's the one I'm familiar with. And that is the much rarer one, and that's... Lucky me, what I what I was uh, dealing with, but it was uh, it, again it it was fine, but that's simply where 
more tooth structure needs to be exposed in order to save the tooth. So it needed to be done, and that's fine. I'm fine with that. But the interesting thing was that the next few days, because again, it's a rare procedure, and I didn't... I didn't really know what to expect afterward because there isn't much talked about for a functional crown lengthening, let alone on a molar. Uh, normally all this stuff is done on the front teeth, not on something further back. So I wasn't really sure what to expect, but again, and this is just in the off chance that anyone listening to this ever has to deal with a functional crown lengthening, then you know what to what to go through because I've I looked and looked and I couldn't find any resources, so this is just my own experience. And if it helps one single person out there, that's fantastic. But the first day, you're pretty much doped up, you're out of it, and you'll probably get to sleep after a couple hours and you'll be fine. You'll just rest and sleep for a while. Uh, When I woke up, that was when I felt the most pain. And even then, it was manageable. I would say, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, maybe it was, like, a 6 out of 10 or so. Which, again, it's it's annoying, it's uncomfortable, but it is not... It's not terrible. So... You can manage it. The thing is, is that for the first few days especially, you have to be very careful with what you eat and the area around the uh, operation where it happened because it's going to be a very tender, very sensitive area. The last thing you want is to reopen the wounds, undo the stitches, etc. So really you can't chew on that side of the mouth. You have to just... I would even recommend eating either very, very soft stuff or even just liquids only the first few days, honestly. And you can't use a straw, you can't suck on any cigarettes or anything. You just have to avoid it. Similar to how when you have a tooth extracted, you know, you can't do those sorts of things either. Uh, Same type of deal. Now, there will be bleeding. The one thing that was interesting to me is that, because it's different, When you have a tooth extracted, you have the blood clot, and that pretty much plugs everything up. I mean, you still have some stuff for a couple days, but nothing crazy. In this instance, there really isn't a full-blown blood clot. So for the first three or four days straight, uh, there would always be blood when I would rinse out my mouth. I mean, always. It would just come out red, you know? It was... You get used to it, but still... And you have this little, you know, you t- this off taste in your mouth because you're tasting your own blood. I mean, it's, you know, that's that's what it is. But eventually it gets better. In terms of pain relievers, I think one thing that didn't help was at first I was using ibuprofen, which, you know, it is a bit of a blood thinner. But as soon as I switched to acetaminophen, primarily, that helped. And then the blood level really started going down, which was great. I think it's just both helped with the pain. That was fine. One wasn't any better than the other. 
Although actually with the acetaminophen, also known as uh, Tylenol, you know, whatever, whatever is best, I only had to take two of those, whereas with the ibuprofen I would have to take four of those in one sitting, so I guess less is more in certain cases, though. It also comes down to how much of, you know, it is in, is in each pill, etc. I'm just babbling at this point, but what I'm trying to say is that it's, it's a rare procedure. The recovery wasn't all that bad. There was some swelling. I sounded a bit strange for the first week or so. The biggest issue was, number one, I couldn't really eat the solid foods for a bit, but that was fine. I was fine with that. I really don't care. If I only have to drink liquids, I really don't... It's, what do I care? You know? It's, I really don't. But the thing that was most difficult for me to do is I still wasn't sure how well I would be able to talk afterward, because that is one thing I couldn't find anything on all of the internet, forums, I mean, anything. I couldn't find a single thing discussing how is one's ability to speak impacted by a crown lengthening procedure. So I will be able to finally give an answer there. Uh, it is affected. Not as much. It, it's, it's affected in a different way. In that, after you have a tooth extracted, it sounds like you have a fist in your mouth. Or perhaps that you shoved, you know, a bunch of marbles in your mouth or something. You sound very muffled, and that's just because of the swelling, etc. The issue primarily after a crown lengthening is, is due to the fact not necessarily due to swelling or any of that, although there is some present, mind you. But it's due to the discomfort that because this happened at the gum line and on the jaw, of course, as you open your mouth to enunciate, that is inadvertently or otherwise affecting the surgical area. So every time you try to talk, you're in a very small way, but rattling around that very tender area. So you can still talk, but lengthy conversation is going to be difficult, and it's going to sound weird. Again, for the most part, inadvertently, you're going to make certain adjustments to your speech for the sake of comfort, but you can have basic conversations. That isn't an issue. It's just long, drawn-out things I would advise against afterward for the first week or so. So I wouldn't, if you ever have to get something like that done, don't schedule it a few days before a big conference or lecture or something that you have to give if you find yourself in that position. Because it's not going to turn out the way you want it to. See, that's the mistake that I made. I wasn't sure. I couldn't find any answers. And I thought, well... At the time, I had the Halloween show to do, and I wasn't sure. I thought, well, it's going to be, you know, a few days. I think I could do it. I'll be able to record it in segments. No, I couldn't. It just couldn't happen. So instead, I had to give it a couple extra days, and then I was able to go ahead and record the broadcast. But it was, it was certainly, it was a process. But every day gets better than the next. And I'd say after the first five, six days, then it really exponentially gets better day after day. 
that's good. Infection risk, really just take care of your mouth. Be sanitary and you should be okay. But don't take anything for granted. I wasn't sure, but I kept, you know, trying to make sure there wasn't any food, particles, or anything in there. I was making sure I really used that mouthwash, again, which was antiseptic, etc., to use that. Uh, if they give you antibiotics, just take them on a regimen and do not falter. Take them and take them all. That's the way that it has to work. But anyway, that's my story. Oh, yeah, the fascinating. I know that was a real edge of your seat story right there. But just talk, just miscellaneous talk. Of course, I was largely healed up within reason by the time that the big election finally happened. I'm not really going to comment all that much on that because I'm a bit paranoid truth be told, about not really what I say. You know, my views really aren't... You could even listen to my radio broadcast and you can hear everything that I have to say about it. It's nothing... nothing extreme one way or another. My, my fear is how the online algorithms will perceive any direct discussion relating to the election, and I don't want to get, you know, the, uh, like the Twitter exclamation point of death, or any of that. Each site kind of has their own way, you know, you say something, and even if you don't mean it in that way, it just sets off some sort of, you know, fallback in the algorithm, and you get put in jail, essentially. I just don't want to take that risk, so... I've been able to discuss the election more so on the radio broadcasts that just go out on the shortwave, where you're free to say what you want one way or another with no repercussions. So I knew I could just say it then and I don't have to be scared. Really, all I have to say is that it looks by the numbers that Joe Biden has won. Although there is a lot of litigation, there's a lot of uh, recounts going on, audits, etc., uh, various allegations, you know, one way or the other. Of what merit have these, that's for the courts to decide. But I think otherwise you can have, well, how far is this going to go? How far is that going to go? What is the likelihood uh, of this happening or that happening? I think after December, very early December, when then everything is, you know, certified one way or another, and then the Electoral College convenes, and then what's done is done for the most part, and then I think you can more definitively say, okay, this is the outcome and this is how it is. I would say things are still pretty definitive right now, but I just want to tread lightly. Right, that's, that's why. And I think I explained my hesitation already, so that's what it comes down to. But again, I would I would already say at this point, things are largely definitive, but with still so many cases out there, right, again, you could say, well, what are the odds of this? What are the odds of that? It might not be high, right? Things seem unlikely, but what do I know? It's <laughs> 2020 has already been a pretty crazy year, I'll say that. It's, it certainly has been. I think one thing that you can definitively say 
no matter what that I don't think any sort of algorithm will, will penalize me for saying, is that based on, number one, the popular vote, and number two, what you see in many of the statewide elections, as well as what you see in the U.S. House of Representatives, is that, and I really don't care what anyone says, uh, we are not a nation united. We, we aren't. It's largely a 50-50 split, where half the population has differing views on core ideological issues. So, gone are the days where everyone's, you know, sitting around holding hands. Half the population sees things one way, half the population sees things the other way. The ideological divide will continue to grow regardless of who is in power, one way or another. Although I don't really think that anyone really expected an election to be the solution that will suddenly uh, stop divisiveness. I really don't think anyone actually thought that. But I mean, it's, it's not something that surprises me. It's just, it reaffirms a view that I've already had. Because I've seen it. I've seen it with my own eyes. And not only, of course, just, you know, from what I see day to day, but even, even something as simple as managing the YouTube channels, the radio show, and the podcast. Uh, from the correspondence I receive, which is very diverse. It comes from all corners of the United States, which I like. I like that from one email to the next, I could hear from a listener in rural Alabama, and then go to an email from someone in Los Angeles, California, and you can hear these different takes, these different views. Um, but again, you can see the divergence. And it's not even... Another thing that people mistake is that it's exclusively uh, rural versus urban, that it's this area of the country versus the other. Um, but but that is not that is not necessarily the case. But again, certainly, if you look at the margins right now, just looking at what's on paper, whether you agree or disagree with the results, uh, you look at the vote margins again, and really the difference in the key swing states, uh, it was a very, very close election. I thought it was going to be a close election. I, I really did. I thought it was going to be very tight. Very, very tight. Again, not necessarily that by the Electoral College, I mean, but in terms of how many votes would a certain state go a certain way by. I had a feeling it would be extremely close. I just didn't buy the polls this year at all. I just thought to myself, I think after Election Day, regardless of who wins, you're going to be seeing articles in one publication after the next. What did the polls get wrong, you know, in, in 2020? It's, it's time for pollsters to reassess their mistakes. You know, and sure enough, a few days later, I'm checking out the New York Times, and I burst out laughing when I was reading this, because it was just, you know, this reoccurring thought that I've had for like the last four months. And sure enough, there's this front page story that's saying, you know, 
Where did the pollsters go wrong? <laughs> Thought to myself, you gotta be kidding me. You know, it's just, it's like, is this real? Is this, is this even real? I don't know, I just think that a lot of pollsters out there, they have a methodology that maybe worked and, you know, that was tried and true, at least for a while, but obviously things are different that their methodology isn't necessarily accounting for. It needs work, and I can't necessarily say that I trust them to uh, hit the nail on the head, you know, for the midterms, and then for 2024, I really don't ex expect miss after miss after miss. And people will see the polls they agree with, outliers or otherwise. They'll, they'll you know, go with those, forget about the others, but... You know, what can you do? Polling by default is never perfect. It's never supposed to be. It's supposed to give a hopefully accurate representation of some possibilities. So, those are just a few comments. You're listening in to VORW International. Alright, so today I just wanted to uh, read a couple emails. Because we've had, we've had a few shows that weren't necessarily regular shows, so I don't know if there really is such a thing as a regular show. I just kind of do what I do, uh, whatever that might be, one way or another. But there are some emails that I want to read uh, that just haven't been, you know, I just haven't been able to get to them in the last few weeks, and I just don't want to let them pile up. I just don't want, you know, because people took their time to correspond with the broadcast, and I think it's only fair... Uh, to take a few moments to uh, get to what we can. So with that, we don't have a ton of emails, maybe just a dozen or so, maybe yeah, maybe between 10 and 15, but we'll get to what we can, and uh, that'll be that, just a shorter mailbag program today. First email comes in from Pete in Idaho. Hey, John, it's been a while since I have written in, but I've enjoyed the latest podcasts. Question for you. McDonald's has recently partnered with a few celebrities to produce specialty meals, such as Travis Scott and Jay Balvin. I have to ask, if McDonald's contacted you and asked to produce a review bra meal, what would it consist of? Would you accept such an offer? Thanks for your time. Keep doing what you do. It brings enjoyment to so many people. Uh, thank you, Pete, over there in Idaho. You know, you have these, uh, celebrity meals, and it's just... I don't really care about the food, it's just the premise of them is kind of funny. In that you have... You know, it's just a basic item. It's just a basic item, and you slap someone's name on it, and what's old is new again. Part of me would just want to... As a joke, it wouldn't wouldn't get anywhere, no one would like it, but I would incorporate the whole running on empty tagline into it as just a sick joke. Uh, the review bra meal would be an empty Big Mac box, an empty medium fries container, and an empty medium drink cup with the straw. So there you have it. Uh, it would just be empty boxes because then you too could be running on empty, be at the affordable price of $8.
per meal. The review bra meal, get it while you can. <laughs> no, I, I will not get, uh, I will never get approached to do something like this. Um, because I'm not big enough. They want A-list celebrities for this type of stuff. So that's never going to happen. Thank you for writing in, though. Next questions come in from Emilio. Hello, my name is Emilio. I just discovered your YouTube channel about a week ago, and I've been watching some of the videos. The real treat, though, was when I found the VORW podcast channel. I love your ability to host a show and keep it entertaining for hours. And I have a couple of random questions for you. I have to apologize in advance, because I have a feeling you've talked about these subjects before. Um, but here goes. Question 1. Are the shortwave radio broadcasts different from the episodes you upload to YouTube? I've heard you mention you sometimes play music in the broadcast, so I was just wondering. Yes, they are completely uh, and totally different, and it's three hours uh, of additional, completely 100% separate content each and every single week. So, I mean, for instance, just in November alone, there's 12 hours of additional shows, you know, in addition to whatever I do on the YouTube here. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, the shortwave radio broadcasts are completely separate. Uh, a ton of time, a ton of money goes into them. And uh, thankfully, more and more people are listening to them, which is great, um, because a whole lot of work really goes into it. But the shortwave radio broadcasts are used um, as a platform to discuss things that I can't really talk about online or don't feel comfortable discussing online. Uh, the broadcasts are each one hour in length. They go out every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So there's a Thursday show, a Friday show, and a Saturday show. And then other repeats throughout the week. Um, but each broadcast is essentially the same format that can be, you know, it can go either way. Um, but usually for the first 15 to sometimes even 30 minutes, uh, it will be all talk. I usually talk about how I'm doing, what's going on with the YouTube channel... Uh, sometimes I will just cover completely random subjects. On occasion, I'll sometimes uh, answer listener questions. But otherwise, I will discuss current events. Uh, I'll give updates on what's going on in the world. I'll give my, you know, just my analysis of it. And it's great because I know I can discuss it there, and I don't have to worry about algorithms or any of that. Uh, then after that, we open up the email for listener feedback, listener correspondence, uh, listener music requests as well. So we have, you know, news and talk for the first part of the show, and then the rest of it uh, gets balanced out with some good music. We take requests. Uh, I'll sometimes talk about the songs, and it's just a lot of fun. I'll give shout-outs, and it's just an enjoyable atmosphere. I try to have a little bit of everything. Uh, it works out nicely. I do it three hours a week, every week. I can't host it online except for Patreon, patreon.com slash the report of the week. So the only way to listen is to tune in uh, to the show as it goes out. But yes, they're totally different. I wish more people knew that um, because so much goes into it. Again, materially and uh, financially. All right, next question that you have 
Can you talk about your sleep schedule? I find it really interesting that you thrive so much as a night owl. Is it just something that you have always done? Yeah, my sleep schedule is pretty unique. I know it is, uh, it's not normal, and I understand that. I know that it's, it is easily the exception rather than the rule. Yeah, the thing with my sleep schedule is that I have always been a bit of a night owl. I have always had issues keeping the normal schedule, and it's been that way my entire life. It has been something that I've talked about in the past, but I am happy to discuss it again, you know, to uh, a decent capacity. But the thing is, with the sleep schedule, yeah, it's... I mean, I think back to even when I was 10 years old, being up late into the night, 4 a.m., not because, you know, it was cool to stay up that long, though admittedly it was, um, but because I also had, I just wasn't tired. I was up because I just wasn't, I wasn't tired. It just wasn't, the sleep wasn't arriving. And that's been a problem that I've had my whole, my whole life. You know, it's the issue of falling asleep. It's like sometimes there will be those instances, and I'm sure a few of you, you know, you're in the same boat. You're laying there, and you feel physically tired. It's like, if you're in bed, and you keep your eyes open, they feel heavy, and you feel like, oh gosh, you know, I can't stay up, I gotta close my eyes. But then the minute you close your eyes, your brain just fires away, and it's just going crazy. And then all of a sudden... Your mind is too active, your body is ready for sleep, but your mind isn't. As a result, you're just laying there in limbo, essentially, unable to do anything about it either way. But sometimes you lay there enough, eventually you'll fall asleep. But it can be frustrating. There was a time where I did polyphasic sleeping a bit. And that's the one time I was able to fall asleep quickly, but I was only going off of like three hours of sleep a day. But I was able to do it, and I was able to fall asleep easier. Um, so it certainly is possible. But, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really recommend that to anyone. It's probably not all that good for you. Uh, your third and final question, what are your thoughts on the resurgence of vinyl records? I notice uh, you have a couple of them in your Amazon list. And uh, I saw a Back to the Future soundtrack. I recently invested in a decent turntable and speakers. It's my favorite way to listen to music. I still listen to uh, to digital music. Uh, I don't have a good turntable or any of that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend that I do, because people will be able to see through that. You know, they'll see that's a load of a load of bollocks, as they say. Um, but I do like the physical mediums, you know, it's just, I think people can listen to whatever they want. If they want to just listen to stuff digitally, that's fine. If they want to listen to cassette tapes, that's fine. If you want to listen to reel-to-reel, that's fine. And if you want to listen to vinyl, that's fine as well. I'm not one of those people that'll sit there and say, vinyl is the superior form of music, and if you don't listen to it that way... Uh, then you have no taste, and you're an idiot, and it's like you get this weird superiority complex. 
To me, I figure you should be able to listen to what you want, how you want. And that's that. If you like vinyl, that's great. If you like digital, that's great. If you like reel-to-reel, that's fine, too. So those are my views. But I have heard people say that vinyl has a more, I don't know, cleaner or smoother sound, perhaps. So it's interesting. All right, next one comes in from Joshua. Hello, John. In your YouTube videos and in your podcast, you've discussed about buying your suits uh, through a thrift store. Uh, or someone in your family maybe donated ties to you. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm curious if you ever shopped at a men's clothing store like Joseph A. Bank or Men's Warehouse. I know that they sell suits that can be very expensive and possibly cost around $500 or more based on what type of brand or what fabric that it's made from. I wonder if you've ever bought one and just felt like you're worth a million dollars. Keep up the good work. Now, the interesting, and I think it's a misconception, um, but I understand why people feel this way, that the suits from thrift stores are very hit or miss in that a lot of the suits are dated. They're in styles that aren't all that popular now. Because of that, And because of just the age of the clothing itself and the fact that it is uh, sometimes used, brings the value down, right? That's just, of course, how it is. Same thing with most other products. But that doesn't mean that just because a suit is in a thrift store that it is, by default, a piece of garbage, It's crazy to think about, but some of the suits that I have actually gotten at thrift stores for 30 to 50 bucks have actually, I think in two of them, I actually found the price tag that was still there from the 80s. And I remember there's one suit that I got for, I think, 30 bucks. And I found the price tag on the inside after a while. I didn't even realize it was still there. And I found out that the suit from back in like 1987 was selling for, I think, $1,500 at the time. And now it was only 30 bucks. But all because, you know, it's just, it's a cut that isn't popular anymore. So some of the suits that I have are very high quality. It's just that they aren't, they aren't popular anymore and they have been devalued. Um, but that doesn't mean that they aren't you know, that they're pieces of garbage. But at the same time, let's forget about just quality and let's just focus on new, new stuff. I have uh, gotten suits and whatnot from those retailers in the past. Uh, In 2013, I did go to a number of the men's clothing stores and I bought a few suits there um, before I really started embracing the older styles where I bought a black single-breasted suit, and I bought two sport jackets as well. Brand new. I still have them, but I don't wear them anymore because I'm not a big fan uh, of the style, but I have worn them, and I just prefer the, uh, I just prefer the older styles and older cuts, even if the suit itself is not brand new. So I think it really just comes down to the wearer and, and one's perception Uh, as opposed to the garment itself, perhaps. Thanks for writing in, 
Uh, we have a Malaysian listener checking in. Do you play any instruments? And if not, are you interested in learning any? Have a nice day. Thank you for writing in. I, I can't say I play any instruments right now. I mean, I can whistle. You know, I can... Boy, that's, that's a real accomplishment right there. <laughs> uh, you know, when I was very young in school, I tried to learn how to play the violin. I think a lot of people did, you know, in, in school and whatnot. Um, so I had tried to learn that. And then there was a time where I also tried to play the uh, recorder, which is that little dreadful-sounding flute-type instrument that just sounds like absolute discordant garbage. Although I'm sure if someone plays it properly, it'll sound better, but I just remember when I tried to play it, it always sounded terrible. Um, There were a few things that I had thought about here and there, but I just don't have any serious desire to take it up. You know, now and then I've always thought about guitar, but it's just one of those things that it's that's not going to happen anytime soon. You know, it's just it's it's not meant to be at the moment. Although sometimes I still wonder, like how these, because I I always like watching different rock bands and stuff perform live and all of that, and it always amazes me how they're able to memorize all these notes to be able to just play so smoothly and fluidly. I guess what it comes down to is, I guess they just know what they're doing, they know their instrument, and it's not really even memorization in the sense that, all right, this, and then do that, and then do that. It just, it comes naturally because you've done it so many times before, you know? It's it's like when you want to sing a tune or whistle something, you're not necessarily thinking about the exact note that you're going to play uh, or, or, or make, enunciate, Next, you know, you just do it because you know it. I figure that's how it must be for some of these folks who perform like that. You know, it just comes naturally. But it's still impressive to me how some people are able to do, are just able to do what they do so, so, so smoothly. It's very impressive, honestly, and I have a lot of respect for folks who are able to do that. Okay, now this next email comes in from Alex. And for those of you who are watching uh, on YouTube, uh, respectfully turn your attention to the video. Uh, Alex sends a photo for me to assess. Uh, He says, please describe your thoughts. It is of my brother, Christopher Crumble, who enjoys listening to the podcast very dearly. And he has had a note read aloud in the past. The photo is entitled, The Scrunched Boy and was taken using a fisheye lens, but offers an amusing distortion, which makes the poor chap appear goblin-esque and rather minuscule. Keep up the excellent work. So, uh, this is an interesting... This is an interesting instance here. Uh, Obviously, this is one of the only confirmed photos that we have of Scrunched Boy, but it is not the only encounter. Granted, there are many sorts of... Uh, experiences where you have many eyewitness accounts, um, but sometimes the concrete evidence isn't always there. Uh, You look at UFOs, for instance. You look at purported reports of sea creatures. Uh, You also just look at some of the reports of, of course, cryptids, the more traditional ones, such as Bigfoot, um, but then other types, such as um, goblins, werewolves, you name it. You have lots of stories 
You have lots of eyewitness accounts. Uh, on occasion, though, you do get a, a clear picture. I would say that this photo that you have here, Scrunched Boy, uh, is probably akin to the Patterson-Gimlin film in that it is the clearest, most definitive evidence uh, that exists at this given time. Now, granted, you can search YouTube. You could find a lot of different videos, uh, even audio recordings, some of which are disputed. Some of you might remember the one show, I think it was on the Discovery Channel, though it might have been Animal Planet, or if you remember, they were out there in the woods in Minnesota, and they said that they caught that image, you know, on the thermal imaging camera, but there's still a lot of debate around that. Some people wonder, well, did they just do that for the show to get people tuning in, uh, or was that legitimate? But either way, I mean, you can still read. There's lots of forums. There's, I think, even a subreddit uh, dedicated to Scrunched Boy, uh, where you can hear all the stories about the strange noises that people heard in the caves in the uh, Catskill Mountains up there in New York. And then there's the one account uh, that the one elderly lady in Tampa, Florida saw, uh, I think that was about 15 or so years ago, uh, at the dumpsters. And people give her account a huge amount of credibility. So I think it's very interesting either way. I think you have some people out there that are ardent supporters. Uh, you have other people that cast a little bit of doubt. Uh, of course, there are those claims of misidentification, hoaxers, you name it. But really, uh, you know, it's, it's like I think people either are on one side or the other. They're either believers or skeptics. And I just don't think there is much uh, middle ground when it comes to Scrunched Boy. But thank you. It's an interesting, very interesting topic uh, that I don't think has ever been suggested to me. I know I've talked about other cryptids and, and paranormal uh, phenomenon before, but I don't think I've ever discussed Scrunch Boy, so thank you. Next is an email coming in from Zach in Israel. He says, it's been a while uh, since the last time I've written to you. Yeah, it has. You know, Zach, I remember you. Uh, I think you were in the States uh, about a I think it was a year or two, right? You even sent a few uh, shortwave reception reports, if I if I say so correctly. Um, and I know you've sent in emails, music requests before, and it's great to uh, hear from you again. So uh, welcome, welcome, Zach. Good to uh, hear from you. I, I, I don't remember everyone, but I try to remember uh, the regular listeners. Anyway, uh, you said, I wanted to share a cool hair product I've just discovered. I've been using Brill Cream at your recommendation, and I'm super happy with it. Although recently, I've discovered a Japanese brand called Gatsby. Their products are great, in my opinion, and what's super cool is that they have a line of six different hair products based on the type of style you're looking for. Uh, there's a YouTuber who reviewed the entire line. I personally use the Hair Gel uh, Blue and Brown Multiform Cream. I thought you might be interested in trying them out. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for your suggestion. And uh, I always appreciate the recommendation. It's good to hear from you, though. It's always, I don't know, it's just great to hear from, from listeners, especially after it's been a while. I'm taking a look at the, uh, the review right there that you sent. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting product. I think certain things uh, will work for certain people. But Gatsby, I like the name, you know, the great Gatsby. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, certainly I'll look more into that for sure. But uh, very interesting. 
Mitchell writes in next. Uh, he's been an avid listener since early 2017. And uh, says, regretfully, I've never written into the show. But I've enjoyed the VORW broadcast for a long time. And uh, I also am a shortwave radio listener. I got a, a Texun PL380 uh, at your recommendation. I'm in Indiana, and uh, I listen on 9395 kilohertz when I can. So number one, thanks for uh, your reception reports. And I'm glad you're a shortwave listener, too. I know there's more people out there that listen on the shortwave than people think. So it's good to know that you uh, have a radio. You have a couple questions as well. Uh, says uh, any of which you can cover. Uh, one question you ask, do you think government corruption is a big issue in the United States? Now, I do think government corruption is an issue, and people might not like this answer at all, but I think government corruption exists, I think it's prevalent, and I think it happens no matter who is in charge uh, or what party uh, exists. You know, people can have one ideology or another, but that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be uh, corruption, uh, bad people out there, individuals who will exploit power, uh, do bad things, etc. So yes, p- uh, humanity, <laughs> by and large, is corrupt. Just in general, it's not just po- politics. Um, most institutions are corrupt. You have these power-hungry individuals, they exploit it, and... Uh, Yeah, corruption exists in so many places. It is not just politics, and it is not just one side or the other. I think it's just a lot of humanity, honestly, that is just corrupt. I don't know if it's inherently, but it's greed. You know, it all comes down to greed, the desire uh, for this and that and the other thing. uh, it's, It's not just a problem in the United States, and it's not just a problem in government either. You know, it's one of those things, though. What can you really do about it? Not much. (laughs) That's the one thing. You can't really do much about it. You know, you just have to stay true to yourself and and keep your head up. Uh, You write, I remember you were concerned about Iran back in January. Uh, Do you think things could escalate to the point where the U.S. or Israel could resort to military action? At this point in time, I don't. Uh, I really don't. The reason uh, being is because I think the highest chance uh, for any potential military action was when the the ballistic missiles were launched from Iran uh, targeting some of the uh, U.S. bases in Iraq. And because there was no uh, massive retaliation there, uh, I think that was really the litmus test whether there would be uh, you know, any sort of, of war or not. So, no, I don't think so in terms of the U.S. Uh, in terms of Israel, uh, it depends on what you mean. In Syria, for instance, uh, Israel from time to time attacks uh, what they call Iranian proxies in Syria. But I don't think there would ever be a direct attack on Iran. So... I think largely there, there's going to be, from time to time, finger-pointing and maybe little skirmishes, you know, one way or the other, but it's not going to be anything more than that. Same thing, from time to time, you're going to have these Iranian, you know, backed militias 
in Iraq that are going to launch, you know, a single mortar or fire one single RPG at a base here and there. And that's already been happening for years and years. Uh, but that, that chance for that direct war, I don't think is going to happen, which is fantastic because it really, no matter who would have won, and I think the U.S. would have won uh, against Iran, it would have been a bloody, messy conflict. And no one, you know, one side could win, but so many individuals might have been perished. It would have been awful. Uh, number, uh, another question that you have, how do you feel about government surveillance in China specifically, or surveillance by private companies like Google and Facebook? Well, you have to be a little careful with a question like that. Um, but I think it's similar to what you could say, you know, in regards to corruption, in that this is obviously something that happens. We know for a fact that it does. But what can you do about it? You know, what can you really do about that? Uh, there is government surveillance in the United States, of course. There is surveillance in the UK. There's surveillance in Germany. There's surveillance in France. You name it, and there it is. Uh, you know, you're, you're always being watched, one way or another. That doesn't mean anything bad is happening from it, but of course you are. You know, you have a phone, you're being monitored. You have a smart TV, you're being monitored. You have a computer, you're being monitored. And that's just part of the reality that we live in. Whether we're comfortable with it or not. It's like, what can you do about it? You know, they say, all right, well, you don't have to have a phone. That's true. Don't have to have a computer. That's true. Don't have to have a television or even any electronic devices. Fair enough. But then how far are you going to get in this world? Not very, most likely. You know, you can live off the grid, but you have to be... You still have to find a way to sustain yourself. And I think in some cases that's easier said than done. So it's one of the, one of the factors, I think, of this world that it's like, well, either accept it or don't live in this world anymore. Because similar to, I think, some of the corruption, it's like... All right, we might not like it very much, but what can you do about it? Well, what can you do about it? Uh, not all that much. So interesting questions. Uh, thank you again, Mitchell, for writing an interesting and thought-provoking as well. We have Kirsten in Manila, Philippines, writing in. Great to hear from you, Kirsten. And uh, thank you for your message, by the way. I am doing, I am doing okay. So... Uh, all is good in that regard. All has been uh, going smoothly as well, so no worries. No worries. Uh, thank you for your concern, though. Uh, you have two questions. Question one, since you receive a lot of correspondence asking you various things, is there anything that you wish people will ask you about? Uh, well, one thing, you know, I like the questions that come in because we get so many good ones. One thing that I just wish, I know it's kind of the adverse of what you were what you were asking, but if there's actually one thing that I wish I got fewer questions regarding, uh, I wish I got fewer questions pertaining to food, to tell you the truth. Uh, not that I don't like them, but there's so much more I can talk about and would like to talk about than just answering the same question 
you know, what do you think of Burger King? What do you think of Taco Bell? Um, can you try uh, the triple-double heart attack burger from, you know, such and such place or whatever? Uh, those questions, I think, are best suited for the comments. And I'll, I'll be happy to still take a few. It's just I really made this channel and this, this podcast so it doesn't have to be, um, you know, food-related as the connotation is uh, by some when they look at the, the main channel. This is a, a thing for other, other discussions. Granted, it doesn't appeal to as many people, but that's the whole point. So I could just freely do this and whoever listens, listens. So if anything, I wish there were sometimes fewer... Not that if you have a question, you have a question. That's fine by me, but... It's just like, if you had two questions, one of which was about, let's say, a current event, and the other was about, um, you know, a burger, and you're thinking, well, which question should I ask? Uh, go with the non-food-related one. It's appreciated. Um, it's appreciated. I always like getting those. So that's just one, one uh, view right there. Uh, secondly, you write, were there any moments where you had a topic in mind, but once you started recording, you suddenly forgot to include it in the discussion? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's happened absolutely many, <laughs> many a time. I wish I could say differently. But yes, there have been times where I've been recording something. Now, especially this happens when I get long-winded about a subject. Because so many different talking points uh, get into my head. And I'm just thinking, well, you know, I get to this one, get to that one. And then I'll forget about something that I wanted to bring up. Only maybe an hour later after I'm done recording, then I think, oh, shoot, I could have I said this. I could have said that, so most definitely. Uh, thank you for, uh, again, your concern and for your questions, and it's great to hear from you. I'm checking the time right now. I actually, it looks like I have a rebroadcast of my shortwave program going out right now. So I'm going to check one of those web SDR receivers. And I'm going to see if I can hear it, just to make sure that it's going out. Again, it's a rebroadcast, so... Obviously, I'm not doing two things at once. But let's just... Let's just verify here. Alright, this is a receiver in Indiana. Let's see, is this my voice? Okay, yeah, it's, uh, it's going out. There I am. A uh, good signal coming into Indiana on this receiver. So that's good. That's good. Let's check another radio in Las Vegas. Let's verify that reception's good over there. Let's check. 5850. That's my main frequency. Every Sunday I have a repeat broadcast. Okay. Very good. Very good. Coming in good over there, too. All right. Well, that's good to know that the repeat airing is going out as it should be. Very nice. Yeah, 5850, that's a very good 
shortwave frequency. It's actually my main frequency to North America um, because it covers so much ground. It's broadcast from radio station WRMI in uh, Okeechobee, Florida. And Okeechobee, that's near Lake Okeechobee, which is, I guess it's South Florida, right? South Florida, Central Florida. It's, you know, a couple miles to the northwest of Miami. And they broadcast it with 100,000 watts. Very, very powerful transmitter. And the signal is beamed toward Vancouver, Canada. So as a result, it covers all the space in between South Florida and Vancouver, which is pretty much just a diagonal line across the entire United States. So the signal usually winds up strongest hitting you know, Atlanta, Nashville, uh, then it just keeps going. It, it goes up again into Ohio, Indiana. I, I get a lot of reports from Detroit. It hits Chicago pretty good. Um, it, and then it keeps going. You know, it hits the central U.S., the south, the southwest. Gets all the way into the west coast. Reports from California, Washington, Oregon come in. Makes it into uh, Alberta, British Columbia. And some of the signal also makes it up into the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. So it's a good frequency, 5850. It just it, it, it really does a good job and gets a good signal out to uh, the U.S. It's, I think, the best frequency I've ever had uh, just to cover that. And it's great. It just reaches a lot of folks. So and that's why I've established it uh, as my main frequency, because it just I think it's most reliable. And it's got a very good transmitter, 100,000 watts. All right, we just have a comment coming in uh, from the Big Ragu <laughs> writing. I just wanted to say I love your work. Your YouTube show is incredibly relaxing to watch and helps me unwind from the day. I listen to tons of podcasts at work as I spend a good amount of time driving along with the work I do every day. I find myself becoming tired of the usual things I listen to during the day and decided to give your podcast a try, and I can't tell you how much of a world of difference it is compared to the usual audio media I consume. It really is a breath of fresh air, and to be able to listen along to the topics you discuss again is just relaxing. With the current state of the world and with how toxic the news is on both ends, I find myself currently watching the same show or shows every night to try to decompress from day-to-day -day monotony. What are some things you do to unwind from the day or week? P.S. I live in the Hudson Valley, and the Planet Wings stores near me are finally opening back up, <laughs> if you can believe it took this long, and I cannot wait to sink my teeth into some lemon pepper wings and my personal favorite, the Jamaican Jerk. Sincerely, The Big Ragu. Well, thanks for writing in. Fellow Planet Wings fan as well. A man of taste, I see. <laughs> but no, it's, it's, it's good to hear from you. Uh, always good to hear from folks over there in the Hudson Valley. And, uh, yeah, you know, the things going on right now, things that have been going on, day-to-day -day life, stress, whatever, uh, what do I do? Do I have, like, a ritual or how that goes? Well, I mean, here's what I do. 
I can't say I have any sort of patented, you know, oh, do this, uh, this, and this, and it'll get your mind off of all the stuff going on in this, you know, some of the wretched things in this world. But what I will sometimes do um, before I go to sleep is I'll try to, you know, take my mind off of whatever and, and just try to unwind in certain ways. For instance, I'll sometimes do some light reading before I go to sleep, whatever that might be. Uh, I say light reading because it's not necessarily cracking away at books, but it might be reading even, you know, through... Now, one thing that I have invested in, and I don't know if it even works or not, um, what do they call it, like a blue light filter or something, that I have that now for my phone and for uh, the computer as well. It cuts away on the blue light. It makes it better for your eyes, which uh, seems to be good. You know, I turned it off and, oh my gosh, you know, the screen seems so much brighter, almost harsh. So whoever recommended that, thank you. It, it's, it's really working out nicely. Not really making a difference, but it's, just, it's, it's nicer on my eyes. It's almost like I feel the pain otherwise. You know, it's like my eyes are physically straining. I don't know. But uh, that's good. Whoever recommended that, thank you. Um, but I'll do light reading. I'll read short stories. Sometimes the creepy stuff. Look, I will read scary stories before bed because I just... Yeah, I don't I don't give enough. Right? <laughs> you know, I, I just do that because it's, it's light entertainment. It's enjoyable to me. Um, in other cases, though, I will read... Uh, Wikipedia pages. Yeah, I'm one of those people. Sometimes I will, though. You know, I'll just I'll just read about various historical events or whatever. It's fun for me to do that. Uh, on occasion, I will watch various videos, various movies, whatever. Uh, the other night, for instance, I was relaxing a bit, and I was looking on YouTube, and I I couldn't I couldn't believe this was actually being offered for free. Um, but the one movie, and I remember at the time, it actually got a lot of attention, and I even saw it in theaters. But I was just shocked to see it on uh, on YouTube, again, as a free movie. Um, but The King's Speech. I had actually seen it when it came out. Uh, I saw it in theaters in early 2011. Um, but that was a movie, I thought it was very well done. It was about King George VI and his uh, speech impediment. And I know that topic might sound a little... You know, boring. How the how the heck could you make a full length movie about that, a two hour film? Um, but they were able to, and I I thought they did a really really nice job on it. And I remember that movie. I remember enjoying it. But it was so many years since I had seen it. I saw that it was actually free to watch. You didn't even have to pay for it or anything. Uh, it's of course very professionally done. And sometimes you find this stuff like YouTube. No offense to most of the movies that they offer, but most of the free movies that you could ever get on YouTube are just trash. It's like low-budget um, garbage. Not always, but yeah, a lot of the time. But you find an exception to the rule. You know, this being one of them. So I couldn't believe that I could watch it for free, so I did. And, uh... I'm glad I did once again. I had forgotten a lot of it, but yeah, it's just as good as I remembered. So sometimes I'll watch different things as well, but unfortunately there's no set, you know, again, guide, do this, do that, etc., etc. 
I apologize. We have Joe in Wisconsin. I'd like to speak about an unfortunate experience I had with Taco Bell food. A few summers ago, my sister-in-law bought Taco Bell for my nephew and I. I believe it was a $5 box. Unfortunately, I can't remember which food item it was, but in retrospect, when I bit into one of those tacos, I tasted something untoward. Forgive my disgusting analogy, but I just assumed that it would exit out of me, and then it would be done. I wasn't so lucky. Approximately 20 minutes after I ate, I found myself overcome with immense dizziness. I began to sweat profusely, and I was feeling generally unwell. In retrospect, I deduce that Taco Bell's so-called cuisine was the culprit. I wound up vomiting later that evening. Fortunately, after I vomited, I felt much better. It goes without saying that as a result of this experience, I am no longer a Taco Bell customer. I can't rightfully tolerate a restaurant that makes me vomit. Have you ever had an experience similar to this at any restaurant? I would be thrilled if you addressed this on your podcast, but if you do, I request you leave my surname unknown. I go by Joe. Well, thank you, Joe. Joe, you go by, and that is how you have been and shall be addressed. No worries there. It's it's disappointing. It truly is because I have had times where I have eaten this garbage, and I have felt sick afterward. Uh, yes, that has happened to me. Where again, yeah, I've eaten this stuff, and I feel absolutely terrible. So yes, I have had bad experiences as well. Uh, I have gotten sick from some of the stuff that I review. You know, my body... Your body is telling you something about this food. You know, if your body is outright rejecting it to that extent, that tells you a whole lot about what this stuff is, how good it is for you, and what it's doing to your body. So I know I do a lot of these reviews, but when it when it has such an adverse effect, uh, you're doing the right thing by never going back there again. Absolutely. You're probably, you're probably <laughs> adding several years to your life by doing that. So uh, you made the right decision, Joe. Your body is giving you a message, you're listening to your body, and you're doing the right thing. Uh, so I'm glad. I'm glad that you are. But yeah, I've, I've had these bad experiences before. And a lot of places, you know, that I go to, I just go to review because it's just not, you know, it doesn't always have the best reaction. Uh, thankfully, I haven't gotten sick all that much recently from the stuff that I've eaten, but in the past it has happened especially more frequently. That's good, though, that it hasn't been as often, but it still does happen. Thank you for writing in. All right, so we're going to read about three or four more emails, and then that's going to be that. On a different subject, not even related to correspondence, I suppose over the course of this program, I was even uh, personally thinking to myself, contemplating, you know, should I discuss this? One thing that you have to understand, especially if you, you know, if you're in the spotlight, large or small, sometimes you have to consider what it is that you're talking about exactly. 
controversial issues, how the audience uh, may perceive it, you know, listener receptivity, and also just is this something that you want to discuss or do you think, I mean, you just have to, you have to assess it. There's certain things, granted, that anyone could say that can do serious harm to them or their reputation or their career, etc., and sometimes, even if it's not even in the controversial, it's it's just, as they say, too far, bro. Too far. But I figure, since this is topical, and I am, you know, an adrenaline junkie, as we all know, you could obviously hear me straightening out the chair just for, just to prove that. Uh, you know that I am a huge risk taker. You know, you never forget the one review that I did where I was in the in the tank with all the alligators. You know, it's I think that solidified it in all of our minds. So, because I am such a risk taker, we're just going to do it. And it's that time of year, so that's a justifiable excuse anyway. Holiday movies are one of those things that I don't know. I guess people like them. I understand that it's one of those... It's not necessarily a type of film that you will really watch, you know, in the middle of July. It could still be good, but it is very... For the full experience for most people, I think. Same thing with, with holiday music. It is best consumed at a certain time of year. Although if you're hardcore, I mean, you can still listen any time. I'm not gonna say that I've never done that. Of course I have. I mean, I remember... There's one song by Elton John. Uh, let me just get this right. I think it's called, yeah, Step Into Christmas. I played that on my radio broadcast uh, on Christmas uh, in 2019. And, I mean, it's a good song. I've listened to it a few other times. Just because it's a Christmas song doesn't mean you can't listen to it any other time. You know, who cares what you do? Uh, there's not going to be some armed gang that's going to smash in your front door and uh, drag you away because you listened to, uh, you know, Mariah Carey's classic All I Want for Christmas, right? If you listen to that in September or something, who cares? Do whatever you want. Watch whatever you want. But there's one specific holiday movie that I can't, I can't help but think about. And I said, all right, fine. I'm going to talk about this later in the show so it doesn't waste anyone's time who inadvertently tuned in and then suddenly is listening to this and is thinking to themselves, what in God's name is this garbage? I, I'm sure people would think that anyway, but we're just going to do it a little later on to save any unsuspecting listeners the, uh, the tragedy. But you have lots of, of these films, and there's one that well, harkens back to my childhood, granted that being in the early 2000s. The Polar Express. Yeah. It was released uh, in 2004. And they say, I'm looking it up right now, you can still get it in theaters. I don't know what movie theaters are actually open right now in uh, 
you know, with the COVID and stuff. I guess they are. <laughs> There's one theater, it looks like, that's actually showing this at 2.30 a.m. Could you imagine going there, like, on a Sunday night at 2.30 <laughs> to a movie theater to watch the Polar Express? <laughs> it's just a It's just a funny... A funny thing to conjure up. Like, it's not an adult's film or anything. Who, Who is going there at 2.30 a.m. on a weeknight to watch this? I just don't know. And I, I shouldn't make fun of it like that. That's just a very, very strange time to show it in a movie theater, of all things. But anyway. It was released in 2004. I'm sure most of us have heard of it. From Wikipedia, it's a 2004 American computer-animated adventure film. It's based on the 1985 children's book of the same name, so it's, you know, a, a book to film adaptation. And the author of the 1985 novel, uh, Chris Van Alsberg, was one of the executive producers. Uh, the film features human characters animated using live-action motion capture animation, and it tells the story of a young boy who, on Christmas Eve, sees a mysterious train bound for the North Pole stop outside his window and is invited aboard by its conductor. Uh, and then he joins, uh, he joins other children as they embark on the train trip to visit Santa Claus uh, preparing for Christmas. The film stars everyone's favorite uh, Tom Hanks, uh, who's also one of the executive producers, and uh, so on and so forth. Uh, the budget was $165 million, a record-breaking sum for an animated feature at the time. Released in both conventional and IMAX 3D theaters in November of 2004, it grossed uh, $311 million worldwide, and it was uh, in the Guinness Book of World Records in 2006, it says it's the first all-digital capture film. So, what's there to talk about exactly? Well, I was thinking about the Polar Express. Number one, I am one of those people who actually did see it in theaters at the time, so I know I could say I was a hardcore fan. I went out in 04 and I saw it. I know that's something to really brag about, but... I It's one of those films... I remember I wasn't particularly... I enjoyed it. I mean, it's one of those movies that, you know, you sit there for however long it is. Let's see. You know, hour 40 minutes, I think. And it's like, you know, all right, that's pretty good. You know, maybe it's heartwarming, whatever. And then you don't really think about it much afterwards. There's some films that you watch and they leave an impression on you. A very distinct, powerful impression. And you think about the film. Uh, maybe you think about the plot. You think about what happened. You think about the characters. You think about the favorite parts. Uh, sometimes you'll just go and rewatch the whole movie, or you'll watch, you know, the favorite scenes, maybe on YouTube if they're available, whatever. Um, but it, it leaves an impression on you. It maybe even makes you consider certain things that you haven't otherwise. All the uh, hallmarks 
of a good film. The Polar Express didn't do that, at least to me. I think I kind of watched it and forgot about it afterward. But every year around this time, I think with the exception of last year, and, you know, I'm just, <laughs> who am I kidding here? I thought about it, the next time I really thought about it was 2018. And then I forgot about it again, and now I've been thinking about it since uh, it's 2020. And there's two things about this film that I can't, I can't help but notice. All right, number one is the CGI. Now, granted, this is 2004 we're talking about. And if you understand that, for 2004, I would say, and this is controversial, it really is, um, but for 2004, in certain ways, the CGI is pretty darn good, all things considered. Now, that is with a very, very important exception. For its time, yes, the CGI isn't bad, it is pretty smooth in some ways. It's obvious CGI, it's the early 2000s, you know, you gotta give it the benefit of the doubt in certain ways, but there is one major exception, and I was researching this, and a lot of people uh, have come to the same conclusion. Despite certain smooth aspects of the animation and CGI, I can't really call them people, because they're not necessarily... I guess, you know, the CGI people in the film are creepy. Uh, they're, they're a little... They're creepy looking. It's like... I don't know. It's not like they're like mannequins, but... It's like they're almost realistic, but they're not. And it's just this weird gray area. And you look at it, and it's just kind of weird. It's like kind of creepy. I think a lot of you understand that. And that made me research that a bit more. And sure enough, there is something out there which this film is actually a huge example of called the Uncanny Valley. All right, the Uncanny Valley. And it is absolutely fascinating. What this is, essentially, it's in aesthetics. The Uncanny Valley is a hypothesized relationship between the degree of an object's resemblance to a human being and the emotional response to such an object. And as you look more and more into it, the concept suggests that humanoid objects, which imperfectly resemble actual human beings, provoke uncanny or strangely familiar feelings of eeriness and revulsion in observers. Valley denotes a dip in the human observer's affinity for the replica, a relation that otherwise increases with the replica's human likeness. I think that is a real thing. I absolutely wholeheartedly believe that the uncanny valley is not just hypothetical, it is it is actual. I I I experience it. I see it. I feel it. And there are so many other people out there that do as well. And when I researched the Uncanny Valley, there are so many... And you could look at it yourself. 
Google it and you might be creeped out. I'm telling you this right now. Now look, I can live with these things. Uh, if, for instance, the Polar Express creatures came to life and stepped out of the film and stepped into this room right here with me right now, as long as they didn't, uh, you know, try to kill me or anything, uh, I would be happy to sit down, uh, talk about whatever they, you know, want to discuss, and uh, hang out with them for a couple hours. You know, I would certainly try to see past the eeriness, but there's no denying that they are a little creepy. You know, so now revulsion is a strong word. I don't feel that way. It's just one of those things that's like when I look at the film, to me, it's like, well, they're, you know, yeah, they're kind of creepy looking now that you mention it, but it's just the way that it is. What am, what, what am I, what am I to do about it? So that's the first thing, but you could research this. And one thing, when you start looking up examples of the Uncanny Valley, you see over and over and over again the Polar Express. Uh, I mean, time and again, you see this pop up over and over. It is just a brilliantly perfect example of it. Now, putting that aside, that was the first thing I wanted to discuss. The second thing is there's one scene from the film that continues to plague my mind year after year. Again, really just 2018 and to the present. Although, I don't know, maybe for a couple minutes in 2019 I thought about this too. I really don't know. It's about a three minute long scene, maybe even less, that I don't know, I just can't help but examine it. In the movie, I don't I don't really think there's any such thing as spoilers with this film. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry if I did ruin it for anyone, I really do, but I just... The concept is laughable to me, and I hate to be that person. Uh, but there's a scene in the film, The Polar Express, where all the kids, at least in this train car, are gathered together, and the conductor, Tom Hanks, uh, comes in, and he gets on the intercom system, and he asks if uh, the children uh, would like refreshment, uh, that being hot chocolate. And out comes this uh, group of waiters, and they do this song and dance, and they dish out the hot chocolate, and they supposed to be like this, this you know, a catchy musical number for the film and they're drinking their hot chocolate and having a lovely time and then they're done and all the singing waiters leave and that's that well number one i'm going to answer every last one of my questions and observations right now it's a it's a film it's a film it's a children's film realism doesn't exist all right that's that's the answer to everything right there and i get that uh, but it's still questions, even though I know that that's what the answer is. Every time I look at it, and I can't help but watch it at this point in time, even if I'm punishing myself, I look at it, and these questions always come to mind, and I know that that's the answer to them, but I still I can't help myself. So, as I said, we've gone this far, there's no stopping now, let's just keep it going. Alright, you could even watch the, the clip that I'm about to watch. Uh, it's called Polar Express Hot Chocolate Requested. 
right? Everyone's favorite. So we've got we've got Tom Hanks there. I'm not going to play the audio because I'm sure the vicious, uh, you know, team from Polar Express is out there looking for any chance to uh, get the copyright. So you can just listen along if you want or not. I'll try to masterfully, you know, describe it. But you've got you've got Tom Hanks there. He grabs the uh, intercom. Asks if they want refreshment, and all the kids, every last one of them, uh, does want said refreshment. Now, okay, here's the first question that I have. That's a good start. Uh, you know, obviously, these are kids, it's understandable. Uh, you want to know if, and that's nice of them to provide uh, complimentary beverages. But when you say refreshment, that implies a lot of different things. I mean, uh, refreshment, well, what does that exactly mean? It could mean anything. It doesn't imply a full meal normally. Um, but what do these kids know what they're going to be getting when he says that, right? Uh, it could mean he's going to give them a little cup of, of water from questionable sources. Uh, he might give them each, you know, a little bit of a cracker and no water. Maybe they'll get grandma's uh, Christmas cookies. Maybe they'll get, you know, a McRib or something. Maybe they'll get hot chocolate. Maybe they'll get uh, an espresso. You know, it's like it's it's leaving the door open. So, still, there's nothing wrong with just asking the general question. You guys hungry, you guys thirsty, you know, engaging the enthusiasm, which clearly uh, the kids are all enthusiastic about. Every last one of them in the car raises their hands. So then he kind of, you know, he says, I thought so. After he sees their enthusiasm, and he swings open the door, which I suppose was to the next um, car, and this whole, whatever you want to call them, like this, this squad of waiters, all of which look alike, to a T. I mean, it's like, these are clones. These, I, I don't know if these things are human. It's like they're clone creatures. Uh, they all are identical in terms of just how they look. There is, There are no differences from one to the next. So either there's, you know, genetic experimentation going on with the Polar Express, or... They just, like, hit the jackpot, and this whole family of identical twins, maybe they signed up and uh, all wanted to be waiters. I don't know. But th these identical-looking guys just pour into the room. So I have to guess, number one, that they were all hiding in the train, the next train car. They were waiting for his cue, and then they all just barge in. What if the kids just said, like, now nah, we're not really feeling it, we don't want the refreshment, right? That's another thing. So what you would expect in any other circumstance, then, is that, you know, the, the waiters would come in and they would be, uh, you know, perhaps give the kids a little bit of options. They might present a menu, whatever. Um, but they come in, they start doing their little bit of a dance, and... 
I guess they're magic waiters. They have to be because they take the the apron off their waist and they just kind of fold it and it, it just hangs as a table in the air. Now, granted, that's one thing that the only explanation, as you can say, is that it's just a movie and it's movie magic. All right, fine. I'll, t I'll take that. I'll concede on that one. Uh, then they bring in the hot chocolate and you have these two chefs with the real poofy hats and the thing of the hot chocolate come in. They're doing their acrobatics in the train car, as, you know, we know they all like to do. Uh, you know, they do their dance. I'm not really gonna... It's a stupid to critique how they handle it, because, again, it's a movie. Um, but number one, until they start singing, they never explicitly tell the kids what the ref refreshment is going to be. Hot chocolate, by default, I mean, it could be anything, you know? It could have... It could just be heated water, or it could be heated milk. Uh, if it's milk... And it might be, it might not be. I really don't know what recipe they use on the Polar Express. You know, did they vet all the kids beforehand and see if they were lactose intolerant? Uh, again, that's just, that's otherwise irresponsible uh, to at least not even have any sort of disclaimer and make sure that they're good. I mean, it's it's one thing if they're adults who already know this or not, but, you know, especially with kids, you got to make sure everything is is good to go. Um, so, you know, they pass it around, that's fine. Uh, that's not a big complaint. Uh, one lyric in the song that I do have a bit of a problem with is, is they say, as they're singing the hot chocolate song, they say, we've, we've got one rule here. Uh, never ever let it cool. All right, cool rhymes with rule, that's fine. I understand that's why they threw that in and it's, it's hot chocolate, I get that. And maybe it's just me. But I have made the mistake of, you know, drinking a beverage uh, the moment it's poured out, when it's really hot, uh, or eating a food item as soon as it comes out of the oven. I've burnt my tongue very badly. Actually, there was a time, I kid you not, uh, where I drank some hot chocolate, and it was just painful. Uh, it burnt my tongue, you know, it, it hurt a lot. So, hot chocolate, especially really fresh, you gotta let it cool for a little bit. Not cold, you know, but even on the lower, to me anyway, if I were to drink hot chocolate, I would want it either very warm or, you know, lightly hot. I know that's silly. I just don't want it to be extremely hot. I just can't drink that. Same thing, you know, I remember there was a time I got this pizza slice out of the oven and I thought I let it cool for like a minute or two I went in for the bite and sure enough it was just way too hot it burnt my tongue it burnt the roof of my mouth you know to the point where eventually I mean the skin kind of died and fell off and it was just it was very painful I, I never made that mistake again but it hurt it's a pretty one of the worse worser burns I got in my mouth so, for me anyway, if it was the hot chocolate poured straight out, and it was just freshly brewed, I would have to let it cool at least a little bit for my own 
you know, for my own sake. I don't care what anyone else does. If they want to drink it hot and they can do that, that's fine. This is just one of the things that I do for me. For me, you don't need to, right? It's up to you, whatever you're comfortable doing. Now, number one, if I were on the Polar Express, I think I would, and if I were given the hot chocolate, I would, you know, I would test the water a little bit. I would go and I would, I would take maybe like a little tiny sip, right? A minuscule amount just to see, okay. It's like dipping a toe in. You're saying, all right, is it good to drink now? If not, I'll give it a minute or so, you know, try again. Um, But I wouldn't just gulp it down immediately because, again, if it's really too hot to comfortably drink, uh, I'll be in for a bad time. So that's what I would do. But, like, what is their definition of letting it cool? I mean, do they just want it to be, like, boiling hot? Do they moderately warm, is that still okay, or do they consider that cool? And that's their one rule. Now, what happens if you if you break the rule? Like, what do they, do they kick you off the train? I mean, how, how does that work? They don't, they don't tell you. That's actually the scariest thing about it. They tell you what the rule, they don't tell you what happens if you let it cool. Uh, so, I mean, you don't even, that's one of the things that people, I don't think they really realize as an adult, Parts of the Polar Express could genuinely be interpreted as a horror movie. Uh, There's some other scenes that easily could be, but this is one of the subtleties that it makes you think. It's almost like a veiled threat. That Then you start thinking about the psychopathy going on, at least amongst those in charge. Right? They're making it this playful song and dance. They're giving the kids this boiling hot... Uh, chocolate and forcing them to drink it, that's that's not good. They're threatening them if they don't. They don't even tell them what's going to happen. I mean, that's scary. So, and no one thinks about this. They think, oh, hot chocolate. Uh, they don't look at the repercussions. That's a big problem. Now, out of the frying pan and into the literal fire here, uh, it gets worse. Uh, They're giving out the hot chocolate, and the scene is something that is supposedly playing out in real time. There's no time jump here. Uh, The scope of the hot chocolate uh, dance, so to speak, is, you know, it's not like they dish out the hot chocolate, and then there's a cut, and maybe 30 minutes later, um, they're done with their hot chocolate, and they come to recollect it. Uh, This entire scene is the entire length of the hot chocolate consumption experience. Here's what makes it worse. Do you know how much time they give the kids to drink the hot chocolate in this scene? I mean, just take a guess, you know. I think most people would say uh, maybe a few minutes, maybe, you know, you kind of are already making it sound like real sadistic, so maybe, I don't know, two minutes, three, four minutes... Maybe longer, right? It's the Polar Express. Maybe they have as much time as they want and unlimited refills. Eh, that'd be nice. Wrong. All of it is wrong. I, I counted it. They gave the kids about 20 seconds. From the second that this hot chocolate is poured in the cups uh, to the second that they begin collecting the cups, uh, they give them about 20 seconds. Now, let me ask you this. If you are not any sort of competitive eater, how many of you 
will drink a decent sized cup of, again, hot chocolate in the span of 20 seconds. I know that wouldn't apply to me, and even for most regular people. Uh, you know, to drink something that quick, right, you just gotta gulp it down. I mean, I'm sure people have gone and, you know, pounded back a beer or something, just, you know, either at a party or something that quickly, but it's something that mindfully needs to be done, uh, largely in a competitive nature. And again, it's not like they're pouring the hot chocolate in a shot glass. Uh, this is a good, let's say, like a, a coffee cup, a good-sized coffee cup. It's almost... Well, let's look. It might even be... No, I was wrong. This is like a bowl. This is like... Think of almost like a soup-sized uh, bowl filled with hot chocolate. And you're supposed to drink that in 20 seconds. And I mean, this is pretty harrowing, if you ask me. But the good news, I guess, is that the kids seem to be okay with it, which is good. It just provides a horrific uh, thought experiment otherwise. But the kids seem to be okay with it. I mean, they seem to be doing all right, uh, you know, enjoying it and drinking most of it down. As a matter of fact, um, you know, just playing along with the film's uh, logic and, and the plot, after the 20 seconds is elapsed, it actually seems uh, that most, if not all, of the kids' uh, cups are emptied. So the kids, you know, really liked it. Maybe it was at a drinkable temperature. Maybe it was really good, you know? Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, let's say that, look, maybe this is the best hot chocolate you've ever had. It's hot, but it still is edible and, and drinkable, and you could do so safely, right? So, okay, that's fine. Everyone's, everyone's good. The last thing that they do, which is almost worse than, you know, the anything we've even discussed right now. And mind you, we're giving them so many breaks at this point, it's not even funny. I don't know if this is done... I really don't know why. If this is done as like a cost-cutting measure, if it's done just... There's no explanation as to why they do what they do next. It might be like some sort of sick joke, it might be more to it than that. Uh, it's by far the most bewildering and easily the most disgusting aspect of it all when you think about it. Uh, the kids have finished their hot chocolate. They have the empty cups now on their table. Again, it's only been 20 seconds. Uh, the waiters are already back. They never left. And they refill all their hot chocolate. Now... This might give the kids a glimmer of hope, like, wow, you know, this was the best damn hot chocolate I've ever had in my life, and I'm getting seconds. Like, this is the best Christmas ever, right? Uh, I'm actually getting more free refill. Wow, I can't believe that. Let's, let's go in for round two. But the moment that they get their hot chocolate refilled, the waiters grab it off their table put it back on their trays, collect the uh, magical table, a.k.a. their uh, apron, you know, put it back on, and they all leave, 
and the car is empty once again. Now, the kids don't really mind that, but it seems, number one, problematic to me uh, that you're giving the kids this perhaps delicious hot chocolate, you're refilling it, you're giving everyone now these pleasant vibes and hopes that, wow, we're getting another refill, only then to, like, take it away and just leave. Uh, that just seems a little uncalled for. Uh, that the implication that they're getting more is there, but then it's just taken away from them. Now, was this, like, a subtle message thrown in by the producers, you know, about other issues? I don't know. Uh, or could this just be... Maybe it's just a weird editing issue. Maybe they, you know, put the scene together in a different order than it's actually displayed, and I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Have you ever been to a restaurant where you get drinks, and after you're done, you know, they refill your glass, and then just grab it, take it away before you could even have another sip, and you never even see it again. I, I just laugh at the absurdity of that. That would be so strange. Now you go and you, you, you want water, you're very thirsty, you drink it down quick, uh, you know, the waiter or waitress comes back, refills it for you, and then just grabs it off the table and leaves with it. <laughs> what a strange thing that would be, wouldn't it? it? Certainly is to me anyway, and I would wager it would be eyebrow-raising for most. So they all trot off, and that's the scene. All right, my question is, why did they do that, and what are they going to do with this uh, hot chocolate? All right, there's a few possibilities. Again, the easiest one being it's a movie, and who cares why they did it, right? That's the reasonable answer. Uh, but then you start assessing everything else, and you start thinking, well, what if? And none of these possibilities are really good. Number one, maybe the waiter is like they hate their job, or they're, they're sadistic, or whatever, and they like screwing around with the poor kids. And it's like they all have this inside joke amongst uh, the wait staff. Where it's like, all right, yeah, all right, let's do this. Let's just let's just mess around with these poor kids, pretend we're gonna refill them, and then just grab it and <laughs> look at the look at their faces when we do that. You know, that could be one thing. Um, maybe it's just like some sick joke among the wait staff. Another possibility is that maybe the hot chocolate is so good, uh, the wait staff just had to get some for themselves. So they give themselves like a little bit of a complimentary refill and then leave and maybe they go into like the next car to drink it down themselves or something. But then you think that'd be kind of weird um, because these are the same cups that these kids have just been drinking out of. And just, you know, looking at it from a sanitary point of view, uh, that's a bit strange, admittedly. I'm right. Now, then there's the most disturbing thing, uh, that really, ooh, you know, it's all I can say. What if the Polar Express is really cheap, and these cups are the only ones they've got on the entire train? And, you know, it's, they're not going to do uh, dishwashing between each service, because it's a big train, I imagine there's other cars full of kids, um, just like this one, and there might be other cars full of kids, right? 
So what if, then, they decide to reuse the same cups without washing them over and over and over for each uh, hot chocolate, you know, consumption? So these kids, they better be in the first car because then they'll get the regular, you know, hopefully clean cups. But then the ones right afterwards in the second are going to get the dirty cups refilled on the spot that the first kids already drank from. Then, you know, the third car is going to get the dirty cup that now two other people have drank from, and so on. And now, you know, the folks in the last car um, might will probably notice some weird things going on. You know, lots of smudges, whatever, on the cup. Although, if they did fill it high enough, um, you know, they might do that on purpose and just fill it really high to, like, the, the brim... Uh, so that, you know, you just see the hot chocolate and you can't tell that now seven other people have just, you know, within the last, again, given the time, probably 20 minutes, have just guzzled this down um, before you, right? With no washing, no cleaning, nothing. And they'll try to just mask that. I don't know. But it makes you really concerned, especially in terms uh, of health risks, health concerns, I guarantee you, it was, when you think of it that way, it was disgusting then. When you think of it today with everything going on, it's even worse. So either way, my final thoughts on the Polar Express, you know, (laughs) it's a lose-lose situation, no one wins, and you better hope at least to get out with your life. That's all that I'll say right there. Uh, So on a final note, I said my piece, I said everything I need to say. My advice to you, for God's sake, if you if you have to watch it, just watch it as an innocent holiday film, and please, for for goodness sake, do not assess it as I just assessed one single scene, um, because if you do that, you're going to be up for weeks. It's it's going to be terrifying. That's just breaking down one scene in the film. Imagine now doing this for an hour and forty minutes. Just save yourself and get out while you can. That is all. You're listening in to VORW International. And now we're going to get back into the correspondence. If you're listening in, feedback is welcome at VORWINFO at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this broadcast, you want to hear more of it, you want to keep it on the air, uh, please consider a donation via PayPal to VORW. I-N-F-O at gmail.com via Patreon at patreon.com slash the report of the week. Also, I am reopening this and I'll probably have a bigger promo in the next show. Uh, if you want to advertise on this broadcast, uh, certainly it'll be at an affordable rate. I'll promote anything and everything pretty much. Um, but if it's of something that is uh, of interest to you, uh, you want to advertise on this show, you can reach out to me at vorwinfo at gmail.com. All right. Uh, We have a couple more emails to read, like we were saying, and uh, then that'll be that. Aaron in Kansas City, Missouri writes in, Hello, Review Bra. I've watched your reviews on and off for a few years. But I contracted the coronavirus at the end of October, and for the past few weeks, uh, (laughs) it's led me down the running on empty rabbit hole and eventually uh, to your podcast. 
If you have had COVID, how would you review it? Personally, I would rate it 2.5 out of 10, would not recommend it. It gave me two weeks off of work, which gave me time to enjoy their various shows uh, and to play Crusader Kings on my computer, but that's about all I can say positive about it. For a week, I felt as if I had been hit by a truck, and the driver, angered at his trip being ruined, decided to beat me with a baseball bat. In addition to the aches and pains, there were waves of fatigue that seemed to strike arbitrarily. If you haven't had it, try to avoid it. Thank you, Aaron, for checking in. Now, as far as I know, I have not had a coronavirus. Although I have never, during the entire duration of the pandemic, I have never had a COVID test. I have never had an antibody test. So I really don't know for sure. I mean, for all I know, I I remember in March, I think it was, uh, there was a time for like two uh, weeks or so where I had a cough um, and I was kind of tired, but I didn't feel sick and I was pretty much fine. Could that have been a very mild case of it? I don't know. I don't know. I've never had an antibody test. What can I say? Could have just been seasonal allergies or a mild cold or something. Um, as far as I know, though, considering the, you know, the standard uh, impact of, you know, let's say a moderate case uh, where you feel sick, I have never had that. So at the very least, I haven't had the, um, I hate to call it this, but the traditional COVID-19 experience. Um, but it sounds it sounds like it's no fun, and I agree with what you said. If you haven't had it, try to avoid it. Now, I understand that's easier said than done. Uh, some folks out there, they take every single precaution that they can, and they still get it, and other folks don't really do anything and uh, never get it. Uh, it's a game of chance. It really is. It's like you're rolling a die, and, uh, you know, let's see. Is, uh, is your number up? Is it or is it not? Right? That's, to me, that's the way that it works. Uh, no matter what you do, there always is a risk involved. You know, it just depends. Depends on the circumstance. But thank you for checking in. Uh, we have a comment coming in from Lizzie. Hello there. I'm watching the video reacting to mean comments, and it gave me a chuckle. I can't wrap my head around why people take the time out of what I assume is a very busy day of theirs, uh, working hard, supporting a family, uh, going out and being great, to come into your profile to say something mean, like what does that do for them? So I wanted to get on here immediately and tell you, which is 100% true, uh, I even DM'd you about this that I think you are one of the most interesting people I have come across. I legit only watch the food reviews to listen to the conversation, not about what food you're reviewing, and I think all of the flat or terrible jokes I find quite funny. You have a great dry sense of humor, and you stated that you do read all the emails, but because of a large amount of uh, emails you get, you might not be able to reply to all of them. Um, just as long as you see this email, I think it's great, but I have a suggestion, uh, maybe a 2020 day in the life of, uh, 
also would like a schedule for the podcasts. Thanks for being new from Lizzie. Thank you, Lizzie, for your kind words, comment, and suggestion. It doesn't feel right to do an average day video this year. I personally, you know, would I do one? I don't know. It doesn't feel right. Um, but the demand is there, and I'll still do one. So before the year is out, I'll get something uh, taken care of there. I know it's something a lot of people want to see, and I respect that. Uh, thank you, otherwise, for your comments there. Well, you know, the answer to your question, I think, why would people uh, say these things? Number one, <laughs> you know, I don't think the folks, I think you're giving them way too much credit. I don't think they necessarily have a busy day. I doubt they really are doing much work at all. I doubt they have a family to support. And considering the nature of them, I don't think that they are out being great in any way, shape, or form. I know some of them are, but it's just human nature. Let me tell you, if you ever want to understand how humanity really is, if you have something for public comment available, you're going to see... You're going to see the scum uh, just come out of the woodwork. And it's going to change your view of, of humanity because you're going to realize how a lot of people are. Uh, that there are a lot of people out there who are just total degenerates that are willing to say things unprovoked for no apparent reason that are cruel, that are disgusting, that are disrespectful, that tells you a lot about how they are as people. What do you do about it? Only thing you really can do is just ignore it. You have to say, look, this is, and I hate this view, but this is just what works. This is humanity. A lot of people are inherently evil. And sometimes you have people that hide behind this facade. Uh, they put this mask on, and they act like they're good people, when really they are... They're a nightmare. A lot of humanity is evil, in my opinion. A lot of it is. Sometimes, you know, it's just like you, you ask yourself, well, what am I doing? How, am I hurting anyone? Am I harming anyone? But people are just cruel. People are just nasty. Eventually it gets to a point where you see so much of it it doesn't have an effect anymore, because it's like, all right, the first time you see an insult online, at least to me, it really hurt. I remember the first time I ever had to deal with a troll on YouTube. It was in 2011. I think it was someone who was... They were making fun of my voice at the time. They said I had a lisp. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, and if I did, I did. If I still do, I still do. Who cares? Um, but at the time, I took offense to it, and I was hurt. I'd never had anyone say that to me. In 2013, when 4chan first discovered my videos, a lot of the community response there was very mixed. Um, because it's a platform, for better or for worse, where you can truly be anonymous, a lot of folks can share their views without any fear of repercussions. And anonymity, it's a, you know, it is a very important thing, um, but it always, you know, it has its benefits and its drawbacks. Uh, so in 2013, there were so many people 
who said these terrible, terrible things. And again, I took it all personally, but over the years, you see these things, you see these things, and you see the same thing being said to you over and over and over, again and again and again, the effect that it has on you, at least in some cases, uh, diminishes every time, because it's like, all right, yeah, I know, all right, been there, done that, all right, I've already heard it before, uh, next, <laughs> you know, and it just doesn't bother me anymore. You know, if anyone tries to attack, I mean, anything, the way I sound, the way I think, the way I dress, the way I look, anything, I've already heard it thousands of times before. So what comes next? Well, you just clean up the trash, and then at the very least, I try to just make light of it. Look, you know, there's no point in trying to fight these people, because that's what they want. You're not going to accomplish anything. These folks aren't, <clears throat> aren't going to change. So, don't sit there and rage and squirm and try and one-up them. Not only are you devolving to their level, but it's an unwinnable fight. Best thing to do is ignore them. Just delete it, move on. Try to just brush it off, and that's easier said than done. There was a time if I had given this advice to myself back in uh, 2011, 2013, I wouldn't have been able to take that advice. I would have said, well, how can you possibly brush it off when I feel it like this? It hurts. And I get it. I guess it's one of those things that just need to be exposed to enough of it. And then, you know, it just doesn't have an effect anymore. I hate to say it that way. It's just how I was able to overcome it. But it was a very difficult process. It brought me to some very, very... Um, dark places, very low points, you know, where it was tough, because it got to a point where you, you see their lies, and you believe it, you accept these terrible things that they're saying as truths about yourself, it makes you feel a certain way, it's like, you know, what's the point, what if I am this, that, and the other thing, and uh, that's what they want, they want to bring you down. Best thing you can do is just try your best to ignore them, delete it, stay true to yourself. And in the end, what I do is because it just doesn't have an effect on me anymore, I try to have fun with it. Best thing at least I can do is take their hatred and get a few laughs out of it. You know, literally turn it around 180 and show not only does it not bother me? Um, but I can have fun with it also if I want. So that's what it comes down to. Otherwise, um, you know, it's just lots of nasty people out there. There's nothing you can do about it. It's just humanity. Mean people are everywhere. And it's a shame, but this is just the world that we live in. Um, but again, thank you for the 2020 average day suggestion from Lizzie. Thank you, Lizzie. Next email comes in from Robert. He just had a short question. He said, I enjoy your updates on the state of international broadcasting on the shortwave. Can you give another update in this show? Thank you, Robert, for checking in. 
Uh, sure, I can give a short update. I, I know it's something I can talk about for a long time, so why not? If, if you asked for it, I will happily oblige. Uh, yeah, shortwave radio broadcasting is an interesting place. It's there's always stuff changing. There's still plenty of stuff you can listen to and hear. And uh, let's see what updates there are in the world of shortwave. Number one, for any listeners in the uh, United States. I discovered a frequency of the Voice of America in English, uh, especially for listeners on the East Coast and in the um, Midwestern and Central U.S. Uh, if you want to listen to an hour of the Voice of America in English, uh, it comes in extremely clear for listeners in the U.S., and I think it's because the transmitter is in North Carolina, so while it's beamed to Africa... Um, because the transmitter is here in the U.S., you can pick up a bit of the signal also. Uh, so you could tune into the frequency of 11720, that's 11720 kilohertz, at the time of 4 p.m. Eastern every day. So 4 p.m. Eastern, I believe that's 3 p.m. Central, 11720 kilohertz. Uh, normally, the programming, it looks like it's music programs, but at the beginning, they always have news, and at the end, they usually have a uh, editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. So, it's interesting to listen to. I think Monday through Thursday, I think the music is largely um, top 40 songs. I think Friday, though is a show called, I forget what the name of the program is. I think it's called Music Time in Africa. And it's a broadcast, uh, again, mostly for listeners in Africa, but it's in English and they play um, only African music, like popular music over there, which is uh, really interesting. It's stuff you never hear on the radio um, otherwise. So that's always an interesting show. I forget what they play on Saturdays, and I know Sundays they play country music. Um, I think it's called Country Hits USA. I think it's like top 40, you know, country music, which is still interesting stuff, you know, some of those songs. You know, some people like them, some people hate them. I'll give it a listen from time to time. And uh, it's just a good, uh, good hour with a very good signal, at least here in Florida, uh, I'm able to get excellent reception of it, which is great. I like listening to the VOA, and I wish I could get them with um, better signal at other hours, but I'm thankful to at least get this one hour at a good time um, that I could listen to crystal clear. It almost sounds like they're just targeting right where I am, but it, they're not. It's just a good frequency. So that's just a little bit of a listening tip for anyone in North America if you want good reception. Otherwise, some sad news on the shortwave out of India, I believe. It's sad to watch this, but in India, uh, it looks like even since I started listening to shortwave back in, I guess it was 2013, uh, shortwave radio appears to be in rapid decline in India. Now, this I say anecdotally, but that's what appears to be the case. 
I think it's just that as the internet, uh, especially over the last few years, continues to become more accessible uh, for many people in India, uh, the relevance and importance of shortwave radio over there uh, continues to diminish. But I mean, I remember... The reason I'm saying this is because the number of stations in India and uh, targeting India that are closing down is crazy, and they're closing down at just such a fast rate. Uh, it's insane. So for such a huge decline to happen so quick, all I could imagine is that listenership over there must be uh, in total collapse. That's all that I could wager. Uh, for just station after station after station that just shut down in just the span of like a year. So it really just has to be in very, very quick decline over there. That's all I can figure. I mean, you still have a number of broadcasts in the Hindi language, but a number of those are religious broadcasters who... No offense, but we'll usually just target anywhere, even if one person listens. That's just their policy. Um, but right now, targeting India, I mean, China Radio International still does. And CRI, they're run by the uh, Chinese government. And they believe in the strategy of soft power, where they broadcast pretty much in every single language, targeting every single part of the world. But, I mean, you know... I'll, I'll listen to CRI. They still have some decent programs in English, you know. You just have to remember the source, and that's all. Still listen in if you want. So China still broadcasts India. Uh, Vatican Radio does. Uh, NHK Radio Japan does. Uh, the Voice of Tajikistan. Trans World Radio, which is a religious broadcaster. Um... Far East Broadcasting Association, they're a religious broadcaster. Reach Beyond Australia, they're a religious broadcaster. Adventist World Radio, a religious broadcaster. And then you have uh, Sri Lanka Broadcasting uh, from Sri Lanka. And uh, Bangladesh Betar, which is from the government of Bangladesh. So you still have some broadcasters, I mean some religious stuff. A few stations that still broadcast, you know, hard news, which is good, like NHK, um, Bangladesh Betar, uh, Sri Lanka Broadcasting, and uh, Vatican Radio. I know they have a news desk as well, so they might broadcast some news as well. But if you notice, those are all the stations on shortwave that broadcast in, uh, you know, really targeting India. What are you noticing? I am noticing an absence of stations that really broadcast, you know, again, hard news uh, continuously, like the Voice of America, the BBC World Service, DW, uh, Radio France International, etc. Only a few years ago, all of those stations used to broadcast to India. Now they've all stopped. Another absence is all of the domestic broadcasts in India from All India Radio have stopped as well. Now, if I had to estimate li uh, listenership in India, I would say that there still are millions of listeners over there. I mean, I'd say there's probably still, you know... You consider it's a country of well over a billion people. I'd say there's still easily millions of shortwave listeners in India. 
But I guess when you factor that in of the total population, that's just not enough to justify things. But I know last year, I think it was even earlier this year, uh, the BBC World Service shut down broadcasts uh, to India. They discontinued them. And there was some protest among listeners in India, but it just wasn't enough to uh, justify resuming those broadcasts. Another huge, huge loss was All India Radio uh, used to have dozens of domestic radio stations in India. You know, with like a power of maybe 50 kilowatts. And they served the purpose of, you know, a lot of AM stations over here, uh, where they just covered different regions of India. So, for instance, let's say All India Radio had a smaller uh, shortwave station only covering, let's say, the district of Tamil Nadu in India, or, you know, a, a shortwave station just covering uh, West Bengal, India, etc., it was just for these different regions and um, areas. Uh, I guess, again, because many people over there still used shortwave um, and didn't really have internet and might have been in more either remote areas or just, I hate to say, impoverished, but that is the truth and just didn't have access to other media forms. Um, but this year, almost all of these domestic radio stations uh, shut down. They were all decommissioned. And that was the loss of like 15 domestic radio stations in India. They all just shut down. Uh, All India Radio also had a national channel that covered the entire country of India. Uh, That was shut down as well. And All India Radio had an external service for the world. And most of that shut down, they said, due to coronavirus. And they claim that Once things get better, they're going to bring that back, but I don't think they ever will. I think it's done. I don't think you're ever going to see it come back. I think they're going to realize, again, with listenership kind of collapsing, they're going to realize, eh, you know, do we really need to restart these powerful transmitters and spend the hundreds of millions of dollars? Or, you know, I don't know. I think we're doing all right with keeping them off, so uh, how about we keep them that way? I disagree with that, but that's just the way that I think it's going to go. So definitely a very, very sad situation in India to see what used to be a real bastion of, um, you know, shortwave radio with not only broadcasts coming from India, but tons of broadcasts going to India just totally fall apart in the last year. Um, Even a year ago, it was a totally different story. So, very sad to see. It's just, I accept it, it's just the way things are going. And I understand it as an inevitability. But it's sad to see either way. And I hope All India Radio will return, at the very least with their external service, after things get a little better. But, again, I just don't see that happening. I don't know, just the way... Why are they going to restart all these transmitters when they're shutting everything else down? Right? That doesn't make any sense. I think that, that I think All India Radio, the external service, is going to get decommissioned uh, sooner, sooner rather than later. 
Although they might keep a few broadcasts on the shortwave still, like to maybe to Pakistan, Afghanistan, Bangladesh. They might keep a couple. But I just don't think you're going to be seeing, you know, the big 500 kilowatt uh, transmitters being beamed over to Europe. You know, I'm not, I don't think you're going to see those getting fired up again anytime soon, which is bad for listeners in the U.S. because that was the only chance I had to hear all India radio directly. So, it's a sad. It's sad, but it's just, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This is just what I'm seeing, and it's just what's going on over there in India, so. Disappointing. That's all I can say. I remember in 2016 I gave a lecture about shortwave, and it holds true right now more than it ever has been ever has before i said shortwave radio is in decline i think of it as an analogy you're at a train station and this train is pulling out of the station it's not fully out just yet you can still as they do in the movies run after it and leap onto the car at the last second and be able to enjoy it a little bit but it's getting very very close to that point where it's just left the station, there's no chance of of getting on it, Uh, what's done is done. I look back to how it was four years ago when I had uh, given that lecture. The train is still in the station, but it's pulled out a bit more since I gave that talk four years ago. It's getting less and less. It's getting less and less, so if you want to get into it, get into it now while you still can. One by one, we're just, you know, it's it's going away. So, get in while you still can. There's still plenty to listen to. There still is, but that number is decreasing every year. Uh, some years it decreases more than others. It's uh, sad to see, but uh, please understand this. There's still plenty to listen to and see what the world has to offer. Uh, get in while you still can. Get in now. If you get in ten years from now you're probably going to be kicking yourself and you're going to say, why didn't I get in into it in 2020 when there was still stuff to listen to? Now it's totally dead. You know, I can't believe I missed it. I kick myself. I say, I wish I had gotten into shortwave, you know, back in 2007. Because in 07, I was young, but I was actually into radio back then. Um, But I was into uh, listening to scanners you know, listening to the police and the fire department and airplanes and um, those sorts of communications, and I was interested in FM radio, I wish I had discovered shortwave back then because, you know, that's what I'm kicking myself over. Back in 2007, there were so many stations that I could listen to easily in North America that don't exist anymore. Radio Canada, Radio Netherlands, Voice of Russia, Radio Croatia, Radio Bulgaria, uh, Radio Ukraine. I mean, the list just goes on and on. I could sit here all day. I have those regrets. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm glad I got into it when I did. But, you know, I just... I don't want you to be in the same boat if it's something you're interested in. That's all I'm saying. All right, on one other note about shortwave... Uh, One station that is, it's just a very strange story. Uh, Radio Kuwait, 
is kind of a good news story, more feel-good compared to this, but it's a very strange one either way. Uh, Radio Kuwait is um, the official radio station of the government of Kuwait, and I always enjoyed listening to their English service. Um, They have a bunch of 250 kilowatt transmitters in Kuwait, and they broadcast in a variety of languages. They broadcast in Arabic, uh, Filipino, Persian, Urdu, and I think they have another broadcast too. They might broadcast in another language. I'm not really sure. Let me just look real quick because I actually have this site open right now that I could find that out in an instant. Yeah, they broadcast in Persian, Arabic, Urdu, English, and Filipino. Okay, I got all the languages then. And they have a number of broadcasts, of course, all targeting their respective areas. You know, the Arabic service kind of just targets the Middle East and um, even other countries too, just to try to, I guess, target the diaspora. Persian, of course, targets Iran. Urdu targets Pakistan. Filipino targets the Philippines. And the English broadcasts target Europe and North America. And I always like their English service. Uh, It broadcasts two times a day, in the afternoons and late at night. And it's three hours long. And it's just a well-rounded program. They cover... Uh, news, current events going on in Kuwait. They have some interesting kind of like radio documentary programs. You can learn more about Kuwait's uh, culture. And they balance everything out with a lot of good music, Um, specifically Western music, sometimes top 40 pop music. Sometimes they throw in some classics, but they have a good playlist. And I used to listen to them on a daily basis back in 2014. But in early 2015, Radio Kuwait left the air. They shut down, they uh, closed everything down, and uh, left shortwave altogether. Much to my surprise, in 2017, and this almost never happens, when a station leaves shortwave, it's usually permanent. But to my surprise, they announced in 2017 that they just bought, I think, four brand new transmitters, and that is an investment of millions of dollars, and that they were returning to the airwaves. Now, what are the odds of all the stations that are leaving the medium, one of my favorite stations happens to be one of the only ones that actually decides to come back? It's like, what are the odds of that happening? Um, But sure enough, they did. They were true to their word. They installed these transmitters, And they resumed broadcasts, which was fantastic to see. So, ever since 2017, they've had their English broadcasts back. I've been enjoying them. I tune in when I can. Uh, I specifically listen to the late night one because uh, it's just at a better hour for me. Although reception, it doesn't usually make it into North America because of the frequency it's on, but it does propagate over to Europe very nicely, so sometimes I'll listen on one of those online radios. Um, but lately, who <laughs> I kind of laugh, but it's like whoever manages their transmitter site in Kuwait has to be utterly inept at their job. 
And I don't say that to be mean, it's just what happens. It's like they're almost intentionally trying to have zero listeners. I don't understand. Where every single broadcast is just plagued by technical difficulties. Every single one. And it didn't used to be that way. They used to sound great and be very consistent. Um, but it's just one issue after the next, night after night after night. Where it's like I'm listening... And then all of a sudden, they just turn the transmitter off for 15 minutes. And then they turn it back on, you know, 15 minutes later. Uh, sometimes I'll unplug the audio, so it'll just be silent. And then they'll plug in the wrong audio feed, and they'll play the Arabic uh, audio instead of the English broadcast. Uh, sometimes I'll try to adjust the audio levels. Like, tonight I listened, and for the last hour... They tried to adjust the audio levels somehow, and they turned the bass up so loud that it was unlistenable. Um, it was kind of funny, but it's just what they did. The night before that, I tuned in, and they shut the transmitter off for 40 minutes uh, in, during the last hour. The night before that, they turned the transmitter on and off every five seconds for uh, about 15 minutes. And the night before that, they broadcast two hours of the English audio, but then switched it to the Arabic audio um, midway through the uh, third and final hour. And it's just problem after problem. Uh, there was one night I was tuning in, and they kept somehow changing frequencies and interfering with random stations. Uh, some nights they won't even turn the transmitter on, and they'll be off the air. And it's like they just do this every single night. To me, it seems like the most unprofessional and inefficient way to run a radio station I've ever seen. I don't really think there are many listeners out there that tune into Radio Kuwait because it's just annoying. They have good programming, but how can you listen to it when there's just these problems over and over? So it's just baffling to me that they invested at the very least tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars into this station. Yet they're going to run it in a way that is so inefficient, no one listens? Isn't that a little strange? I think it is. And also, this is a broadcast. The point of it is to be representative of the government of Kuwait to the world. So to manage it in such a poor way, it's just silly. So I don't understand why... I'm glad to still have Radio Kuwait. They have good programs. I like listening to them, but boy, let me tell you, if <laughs> I don't know of another station at this point that does a, a worse job um, managing the broadcasts. I don't know if it's just if the person that works at the transmitter site, uh, you know, knows what they're doing, but they just kind of like trolling and messing around. I don't know if they just have problems with the equipment. I don't know if they just have people who aren't engineers and don't really know what they're doing, uh, or what's really going on, but it's a strange, and this problem has just been getting worse. So, who knows? Just something worth bringing up. Thank you for writing in, and uh, that's all that I have there. And on a final note, we have an email coming in from Manta. I'm wondering if you've looked into or in any way interested in alternative medicine. An example would be uh, some people using dangerous substances as medicine. There's this culture around essential oils where some people actually drink them and believe they can cure diseases, 
Some even drink liquid with extreme amounts of salt. Another example would be not going to a doctor at all and attempting to cure oneself with a certain kind of diet. Some people go as far as not to take their children to the doctor when they're obviously unwell and just try to feed them a certain diet or even feed uh, them these medicines like high-level salt water, oils, or bleach. I thought maybe you could talk about this in a podcast, and if you have any opinion of them overall. It's an important subject to me because I'm interested in medical science and physical well-being of people. Uh, Thank you, Manta. Now, I will say this. Number one, I am not extremely versed in this. I'm not a doctor. I haven't any medical qualifications. Take this with a grain of salt, no pun intended. Alternative medicine is a strange thing. And I think that it's a case-by-case basis. In that, do I think that there are, in some instances, natural remedies to certain things? I do. But it is a very dangerous thing, and it is not something to play around with. And this is your health you're talking about? The well-being of you, of others? This isn't something to just gamble with and just mess around with. I think there are some cases where some of the success stories are legitimate. Uh, Many others may simply be, you know, the so-called placebo effect. What people are taking really doesn't do anything, but it makes people think that, you know, it does. It's a dangerous thing. You know, medicine itself, of course, professional medicine, uh, does many, many wonders. Of course, everything has its side effects. Everything has its issues, and yes, a number of drugs do have legitimate problems. Sometimes you read about it in the news every now and then. But alternative medicine, it's one of those things... That's why I understand that it does do some good in some instances. That might be rare, to be truth be told. So I guess what I'm just trying to say is that it is not something to play around with. And it sickens me when I see some instances where it's obvious, you know, that these so-called alternative treatments are doing irreparable damage. And there's people that just don't see that. I remember in one case, it was really, really sad to see. I don't think anything came of it, but it was sad and it was disgusting, both literally and just in the sense of how it was. Where I remember there was this group, I forget how people found it. This is a couple years ago. This is like four or five years ago. Found this online group of parents who, again, were like feeding their newborn um, little babies and uh, toddlers. I'm saying like, you know, zero to three years old. All these types of laxatives which, of course, were having, you know, the poor little babies just go to the bathroom at this rate that it was like they were excreting. I think it was a lot of, like, the intestinal um, mucus, and I forget if it was, like, the lining of that or something that they were uh, excreting. 
which was absolutely terrible for these poor kids. But, you know, the parents were taking pictures of it and were saying, look at all this poison that's coming out of them. We need to keep, um, we need to give them more and more. And I'm thinking, you know, the amount of harm they're doing to these poor kids is sickening. Nothing ever came of it, I don't think, because just nothing ever happened. But that's a good example of so-called alternative medicine uh, just doing irreparable damage. These poor kids. I know right now there's a very, very high level of mistrust in the medical uh, profession, in the medical field, and certainly my own view of doctor is, uh, is mixed. Uh, doctors are very, very important, but you have so many that are just purely uh, for-profit and don't give a single damn uh, about you or me or anyone else. They pretend to, but they don't care at all, and that's completely and totally evident. Uh, beyond a doubt, that, you know, they don't see us as living human beings. They literally don't care. Um, you know, if you die, you die. What's it to them? There's a lot of folks out there who are that way. And as a result, that's kind of... It's left a bad taste in my mouth. But I don't let those sentiments get the best of me. In the end, I completely concede these folks know more than I ever will about my body, what's going on, how to best treat it. And in the end, it's just because you've had some bad experiences, you should not just dismiss the medical industry, but rather what I do is I try to just work harder to find the professionals who, you know, in my opinion, I just do the best that they can and not only know their stuff, but also care about the people that they're treating as well. Aren't just there to read something off a chart and collect their money, um, but really, truly, you know, to the best of their abilities, care about how you're doing and what you're going through as an individual. You know, not just the dollar signs walking in. That's my problem with the medical field. Um, you know, that's just... But at the same time, that doesn't make me say... Like, for instance, let's just look at uh, dental stuff, you know? Just because I have those views, and I've had very bad experiences with dentists uh, that really harbor a lot of these views, I mean, exemplified that I'm talking about. But just because of that doesn't mean when I had all of these issues and I'm going through them, that doesn't mean that I'm just going to say, okay, well, then I'm just going to take care of my mouth and these issues myself. And I'm going to go into the garage and I'm going to grab the pliers and I'm going to rip these two molars out of my mouth myself. And, you know, for this tooth that needs a root canal, I'm just going to stuff it full of this herb and let that be that. And, uh, you know, for the tooth that needs this crown lengthening, I'm just going to take this restorative, because this, this guy on this blog said that this um, oil, you know, restores the tooth. I'm going to take a syringe and I'm just going to shoot that into the massive cavity in that tooth 
and uh, that'll heal just fine. You know, no, it doesn't make me say that because I just don't have that level of of faith in any of that. Uh, instead, I know, look, I'm. I can only do so much. I have bad, very bad taste in my mouth with a lot of dentists, but that's not going to stop me from trying to find a better one. And eventually, I did, and from there, I've been able to try to. Really work and get my mouth in a better, a much better place. It's been a long road, but let me tell you, is it worth it? Bad experiences it can really shake your faith in the, in uh, healthcare. You know, and you ask yourself sometimes, are they really all that? Well, yes, they are. It's just unfortunately, as with any collection of individuals, you have the good and the bad, and unfortunately, the bad. When you have an experience with them, they really, it can change you. But with that, you can't forget that there's some good out there too. Just because you know there's one bad doctor doesn't mean that medicine is BS, and that it's all just there to hurt you and not to help you. Yeah, there are bad doctors out there. There are greedy jerks. But there also are professionals who really they know what they're doing and they care about you and they want to see you better. Not just all about the money. And that's just been a, a tough thing to get, you know, for me to get over. But that's why, you know, is there some legitimacy in certain, you know, types of remedies? Not treatments, not cures, but certain remedies. Perhaps. But that should not and never should be a substitute for essential medical treatments, life-saving care, um, or drugs that will really help you get better and are, are proven to do so. You know, because otherwise the only person you're hurting is yourself. And it saddens me, especially also when you're doing that. You know, don't gamble with this stuff. And especially, it's just irresponsible when it's being done for someone who can't even speak for themselves. Like those poor babies, you know, that, that I saw those years ago. I can never... It's something I never want to look up again. I never want to see that again. But I can never get that out of my mind. It was so sad. So, that's what I'm saying. The legitimacy of it all is very, very debatable. And for God's sake, just don't gamble with it. You know? When in doubt, when in doubt, please see a doctor. That's what they're there for. Sometimes it's just tough to find a good one, but please keep trying as best you can. You know, it's like, look, if you have a sore throat and you're feeling okay otherwise, and you want to try to gargle with this or that, you know, if you want to try it, try it. But if you're sitting there and you feel deathly ill and it's like, okay, I can either see a doctor or I can fill up a shot glass with, you know, whatever, this bleach cocktail and drink that and maybe that'll cleanse me. C come on, the answer is in front of you. Go see the doctor. Don't drink that crap down ever. It's not going to do you any good. It's just going to expedite the inevitable. So that's my view. 
And with that, that's all that we have for today's broadcast. Thank you all so much for listening in. All of you out there, please be safe, be healthy wherever you are. I know Thanksgiving is a bit different this year, but whatever you decide to do for it, I wish you all a very, very happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for listening, and I hope you could tune into the next show. Any feedback is welcome at vorwinfo at gmail.com. Thanks again, and take care. I wish you all the very best.